Hi, this is Len Testa. I'm uh, in Epcot with uh, Jim Hill. We're doing another uh, episode of our unofficial guide, uh, Disney Dish with Jim Hill podcast. Um, it's a beautiful sunny day in Orlando. It's about 75 degrees outside. Sun is shining. We're getting ready to walk through uh, Future World Plaza, the very beginning, the very entrance of Epcot. You guys can hear some uh, some background music. Yeah, that's beautiful. Epcot's my favorite park, Jim. How, how's, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm in Epcot. I, 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 I don't share your enthusiasm for this park. I, I like, love this park. Well, it's the, world, the world's greatest theme park, Jim. And plus we've got food and wine going on here, well, too. all right. That, that, that helps. Liquor definitely helps Epcot. All right, so we're going to walk through, uh, through the, through the uh, plaza here. And as we go through, so we're coming up on... Uh, so we just got past the security entrance, which was nice. It's actually such a slow day here that they're not doing... Uh, um, the a separate search. <laughs> yeah, the cavity search. They're just kind of letting people pass. So we're walking up now. We're uh, we're passing the uh, the stone monoliths, the uh, the Leave It Legacy tiles. Mm. By the way, Jim, if you ever want to ha- want to have some fun, ask uh, Sam Genoway what he thinks of these things. Oh, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Now these are, I. This is honestly probably the last project that Imagineer John Hench worked on for the company, and. I know, I, I know the joke. You know the effect of you know the, the faces here. Everyone who died walking around World Showcase Lagoon. <laughs> um, but it, it's honestly not what John was shooting for. He, the idea was this was going to be this. This is a mythic structure. This is like you know Disney's Stonehenge. That that you know it, you know and you have this iconic giant you know golf ball. You know it did here at your entrance to the park, and it just. He wanted it, it. Just seemed very sterile to him that the space, you know. And it, it, so it's like, so wait. So it was sterile, but his idea of getting rid of sterility is adding monolithic slabs of rock. Well, it, it, the idea. Was, good. How about a plant? Does anybody have a fern? It, it, the idea to break up the structure. I mean, think about it. You know, how long ago was it when you entered the park here and they had the three pieces of acrylic sticking up out of that's the? That's right. Park that's there. right. Sort of the yeah. That, that wasn't any better. But I mean, seriously, we've walked from the entrance. To almost to the base of uh, Spaceship Earth. Has anyone seen a plant in the future, Jim? There will be no, there will be no uh, foliage. No, I mean, it, it, but if you look at the cobblestone, the, 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 I, what they did here again. The idea is to put natural, I mean, stone, natural stone, and stone-like shapes to to frame Spaceship Earth to, to to take some of the onus off of again the giant tinfoil ball. You know? Oh, um, is that what it is? Because I never got that. Yeah. Um, I do. I do see. So we're at the we're at the base of the fountain that's in front of Spaceship Earth. And to Jim's point, if you look at the uh, the ring on the inside of the um, of the fountain, you guys can hear the fountain in the background. But the uh, the fountain ring is essentially made of raised cobblestones, like the kind of cobblestones you'd see in the street. It's a uh, different colors, and some of them are actually sticking up higher, so they're uh, they're actually not wet. And because they're not wet, they're a different color, a lighter shade. Than, uh, than the ones that are getting wet. So you've got sort of these deep mud browns. You've got some of these really light beige colors. It's all, it all works out pretty well. But i got to tell you, Jim, I mean, looking back over this, I mean, between here and the monorail uh, station, I mean, there are sort of trees on either side, but this place could do with some grass. No, no, absolutely. And here, here is the thing. You, this was supposed to exist for 25 years. Okay. In fact, if you remember buying the Leave a Legacy tiles. I have one. Okay. But you, if you look at the language there, it's not into perpetuity. They will be here. Your face will be on that slab for 25 years, and then they can resell the space. But to be honest, Disney is looking for outs. They want to tear it out. They know it doesn't work. 
Um, so, but 25 years, I mean, they've got at least another 15. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, they got more than that. You know, I mean... So, was it 25, is it 25, 25 years from the date of the last sale? There you go. Oh, my God. So, that was, like, well into... Let's put it this way. My daughter and I have one, so that's... Uh, so, she, she made her first trip when she was five, so... They've got at least another 17 years of that? Really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's killing just, me, killing me. No, and it, it's killing them because it was like, again, this is the curse of a wonderful model, and then when you make it full size, something doesn't work. Yeah, that's the thing. I, we, so we were talking about this earlier, but uh, I mean, I, I get the idea of you know something like uh, something like Stonehenge uh, is what Jim Hinge was going for. It, it probably worked on paper. It doesn't work in 3D. Well, that coupled with the fact that you know, they found out the hardware. They were literally three to month, six months into the first install of the little metal things, and they they had a child brought into um, the first aid who had laid on the wall and had burned all the way up their back. You know, seriously. They, yeah, I bet. Oh yeah, it's gotta it's gotta be incredibly. I mean, it's, it's metal in the Florida sun. What are you expecting? No, that's it exactly. But it just it, it, it at all angles it became a boondoggle. You know what they could do? Well, they could rotate the the stones. They could lie them flat, right? And it could be like Japanese cooking. But but the the imprints when they sear the meat, it's your face on the meat. So you're cooking instead of Benihana, you're cooking on top of Ben Hana. <laughs> that's right. That's and right. Lovely wife Suresh. Right. Like, oh, lovely people. Lovely. Oh, uh, They're yeah, from Brooklyn. They're lovely. Oh, God. So we're walking past uh, Spaceship Earth. Still one of my favorite attractions of all time. Storytelling superb. What do you think about the uh, the new scene that went in a couple years ago? Um, I it was uh, first of all, it, it's kind of interesting that they found the space to do that. You know, and but at the same yeah. time, you know, the the computer room. You know, you have to acknowledge that where we are. In fact, this is kind of the monkey in the back of both Epcot, the, the, the future world section of Epcot, as well as Tomorrowland, because the future obviously keeps moving forward. Yep. And, you know, the story of communication, <laughs> circa 1982, you know, yeah, yeah, computers, lovely. Yeah. Um, and now, I mean, think about it, you know, that, that, or just, you know, <laughs> what you're carrying in your hand to record the show That's right. probably has more electronic power to it than the original, you know, Mr. Lincoln figure. All right, It probably does. So I'm uh, walking around with a little handheld uh, digital recorder. So that's, you know, it, they'll have to circle back. In fact, I, I, I know that there's language built into the contracts here at Future World. In fact, that's a lot of reason that many of the sponsors bailed out after a while. They were under, as part of their sponsorship agreement, every 10 years they had to freshen their pavilions and i mean literally you know you had to agree to bring in new exhibits new technologies and you know there was subsequent language the effect of you had to do smaller retrofits on top of that right so it wasn't just a big bang every 10 years you were no and this just for a lot of people became an issue it's like i don't know if i want to be involved in epcot where it's, it's a it's a money pit yeah, um, or it's well, it's it's, a, it's a, an expense that you have. You have no choice, right? Yeah. So whether whether it works or not, but this was you know from day one when they, they started to go out and chase sponsors for Epcot or chase countries for Epcot, they never got the response they anticipated. And it was it because of the uh, was it because of the concept or was it because of the the contract terms? Actually, it's it's something entirely different that. Without a charismatic Walt Disney out front. Ah, uh, to sell it, right? Yeah. I mean, just the problem is that, you know, this is a part of the Disney history that people really don't understand. But Walt built up an organization 
that he had amazing lieutenants. I mean, people mm-hmm. he could turn to and go do this. And but they were lieutenants; they weren't leaders. And right. then, when Walt died, all of these people who were wonderful foot soldiers for him got promoted to leadership positions, and they couldn't go. Some of them couldn't lead. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, and more to the point, they couldn't go to a GM. And and um, for example, Marty Sklar tells this wonderful story about trying to sell the sponsorship of Space Mountain to RCA. Mm-hmm. And it, eventually they did, right? But but here's the thing: it was it was a Walt Disney who figured out they were going into the meeting, and it would say they were at RCA, mm-hmm. you know, pitching the early early concept for it. And you know, so Walt was at one end of the table, or you know, Marty was one end of the table. And with the art, and it's a giant, you know, giant lengthy table. And it's eventually, well, it's like, the guy who makes the decision is at the other end of the table. Bring the artwork down to the guy. You know, don't mind, don't do the, the 300 VPs between you and the guy who actually yeah, yeah. made the decision. But a Walt knew how to do that. A Walt knew who was the guy, who's the decision maker in the room. Get, get, get me there. Closer to that, man. And, and the problem was with Epcot, it was, it was meeting after meeting after meeting with sponsors that when they came in they insisted on their narrative I mean if you think about for example Country Bear Jamboree mm-hmm. uh, you know initially sponsored by Pepsi and Frito-Lay it's you know and they're, it's the audio I'm trying to figure is actually saying that but it's incorporated into the show and it's fun and it's easy but that was because it was like Walt was able to go to you know that's, don't worry about it we'll put your thing in the show and we'll make it fun yeah. by the time they're doing the shows for Epcot there is nobody charismatic and it's the sponsors that are dictating that are what's going into the attractions, uh, yeah. which is why, you know, it's like the future of energy and at solar. No one's going to do anything with solar. Leave me alone. It's you know, all it's petrochemical. That's right. You know. So we're just uh, we're we're walking uh, we're in the middle of uh, Innovations Plaza right now. We've got uh, our Future World Plaza. We've got uh, we're by the tip board. The interesting thing about the tip board now, Jim, it's gone from being the remember that uh, that sort of carnival lighting theme. It's actually uh, di- high res digital displays now, and apparently they've got a Twitter feed. Set up now. So if you follow the uh, if you follow a hashtag, and I think it's uh, uh, 2011 FW something like that. Epcot, you know, well, I'll get you the guys the hashtag. But uh, if you follow that, it'll actually uh, tweet out what the uh, what the current wait times are. The interesting thing though about the display, Jim, I don't know if it's just that we're getting old, but they the 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 words to describe each of the attractions are maybe an inch high, <laughs> and you're in the Florida sun, so you really have to stand literally next to the thing. To actually read them, but I give him credit for trying. Mad props for trying. Hey, you want to walk into uh, into Innovation, see what's going on there? Innovations, by the way, in case anyone doesn't know, is a blend of two words, Jim. Inventions and, in, uh, and innovations. And, you know, more to the point, this is, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term, this, this whole area owes, it, it, it was born when Michael Eisner went to the Consumer Electronics Show. Oh yeah, it has a total computer, uh, consumer electronic show vibe to it. He so, came home, you know, he went off to one of them, and they were they were at that point looking to what they were going to do with uh, Comedicore, and it's like, have right. you seen this? Let's do this. Let's do this. It's so, it's fresh. It'll you know, so we're walking by uh, Where's the Fire, which is a game where you play. Uh, uh, it's a fire safety game. You look for uh, things like exposed wiring inside a house. It's a lot of fun. This is the IBM Smarter Planet uh, display coming up. We've got. Uh, Actually, this is a lot like 
I would say that the display here is a lot like IBM itself. What what the hell do they do? I mean, don't didn't they used to build hardware? But now, what does what does what does IBM do these days? Uh, I, I would imagine even the board of directors is asking that question. It's, I, I think I think if, if ever there was a symbol of, of of IBM now, this is this is it. I kind of sort of get it, but if I was pressed to say these are the goals one two three, uh, you, you wouldn't do it. No, and and just but you know. The interesting thing, you, you, you walk through this space, and again, it, it's a different deal than a different deal than a different deal. So there's no visual harmony. There's, if anything, exhibits, you know, fight visually to hold your attention. It's true. Now we're, uh, we're walking past another great piggy bank adventure. I actually like this. This is pretty good. But they've, you notice they've put up a wall around this now. Yep. Yep. So uh, before there used to be a small sort of... Uh, Almost like uh, like velvet rope type things that would keep you out. Now they've got a looks like a six foot high wall around one end of it. But uh, Piggy Bank Adventure actually is a lot of fun. It's uh, it's great for kids under twelve. Mm-hmm. Well, the wall actually went up because again there is so much stuff in here that mom and dad would lose track of children that would wander up. Oh, so while you're while you're facing the screen trying to figure out you know, with Johnny what's going on, little Sally would wander off to the next exhibit. And eventually, security made an issue of it, and that's where we are today. But. That makes sense. So we're uh, we're now walking past a series of uh, looks like video games for uh, for Disney Pixar films, and there's a bunch of those as well. Well, you know, again, I, or, or as I like I like to call this, this is the idea for Disney Quest. <laughs> I mean, really, why wouldn't why wouldn't they just? I mean, look at look at how many people here. There's one, two, three, four, five. There's probably more here than more people here than in uh, House of Interventions right now. We could uh, they could charge twenty bucks for this. You could stay all day. It's air conditioned. I don't know, Jim. Sounds like a business model to me. Well, there you go. That that that's, that 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 key phrase again. Air conditioned in Florida. So. Yeah, it's actually a nice day outside though too. But it's not it's not it's not terribly crowded. What is this? Photo Disney Rewards Photo Place. Ah, this is the character greeting for uh, for uh, Disney guests. Disney, sorry, Disney Visa card holders. I get it. So. All right, this is the we're, we're passing back by the uh, the uh, other side of. Where's the fire? Where they people get to touch a real fire engine, and there's a quick uh, fire drill thing going on. I don't know. Do you come to Disney World to uh, to, to participate in fire drills? Well, you know, in a weird sort of way, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. If a kid takes away from a vacation how to survive a fire, that's a good thing. You know, I'm good with it too. But I, you know, what I think would be more realistic here is if they let one family member actually set the fire. <laughs> I think that would be a better idea. We're going to walk through the, uh, the other side of interventions? Let's keep going. Sure. It's, it's air-conditioned and we're walking. We're already moving in that direction anyway. So. And I, again, this is this was what makes this place tough. This is you know, just keeping it fresh, just keeping it, you know. Right. So some of the ideas, like, uh, some of the ideas are very good. Mm-hmm. When, when done right, some oh, storm no, no, no. struck over an intervention yep. east, which we'll talk about. Yep. Very good attraction. I, I do like the Piggy Big Adventure. Guys, if you're listening and you haven't been to Piggy Big Adventure... Um, go ahead and try it. Um, I think that's good. There's um, again the the IBM thing. I actually never understood because they had a video game here too, right? Remember, you used to walk up on a, an elevated stage over to the left. I never really got what what the game was either. Maybe I'm just old. Nah, let's, let's play my BM. But that's the other issue. They would they would bring these guys into Glendale. They'd show them the prototype in a warehouse, and it's like, oh my god, this is to be wonderful. And yes, of course, we'll sign for this. Not realizing that three equally loud, colorful things will be in front of it, back to it, to either side. Right. In in isolation, it all makes sense, but when put together, the sum is less than the uh, the whole is less than the sum of its parts. 
All right, so now we're back out in the sun. We're in uh, we're in Future World West. To our left is the Imagination Pavilion. Straight ahead is the Land Pavilion. Let's head to the right and go to the seas. How do you feel about the seas, Jim? Um, I, I think... You're pro-water? <laughs> Me like water. Um, this is actually, as far as retrofits go, uh, it's probably one of the more charming ones in Epcot. Uh, the interesting thing is they did... For quite some time, they had the Little Mermaid-themed redo. A Little Mermaid-themed ride? It'll never work, Jim. <laughs> well, get out. it was more the effect of... Next thing you're going to tell me is they've only got money for five scenes in the ride, and then... I, 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 yeah, I didn't say that. He did. <laughs> um, no, it was more to the effect of, is Ariel an effective character to do education with? And in the end, what they decided was that... You know, Ariel has her fan base, but, you know, when you look at uh, Nemo and more to the character, you know, the character of Mr. Ray, you already have, you know, a uh, an educational character. Right. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is even this version of the ride, the original version, wasn't what, what they planned. I mean... Wait, the original version of the Seas Ride with oh, Nemo? God. Or the original... Uh, the, uh, the original... The I mean, Deluge. I, yeah, I mean, literally, this was going to be... An epic ride through attraction. In fact, it was you know they, you were at one point, you know, as you're in your introductory scene, the wall was going to split open, and a twenty foot tall figure of Poseidon was going. Aww. But again, twenty foot tall AA figure who was, you know, literally going to swing his trident and open the sea for you, and there was going to be a bubble vehicle that you rode through, and they expand the the entire ecosystem, and only then, after you know Poseidon had deemed you worthy. That you understood, you know, about the sea, were you then allowed into Sea Base Alpha? Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Omni Movers, the little taste of what you do with the Omni Movers is literally, that's that's a fourth, you know, maybe a fifth of, of the amount of ride track they were initially going to do. Wow. Um, but no, they, 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 this became um, the franchise that worked here. Uh, it kind, of, it kind of makes sense. But this was, I mean, we're talking, Ariel was going to go in here as as late as 2003. Wow. You know, but that was part of the uh, the Project Gemini, pro, you know, yeah. where literally, you know, you were going to gut Spaceship Earth. You're going to put the Time Racer attraction in there. You were going to put, you know, the rainforest out in front of the land. And you were going to have the, uh, the coaster that zoomed through the treetops of the rainforest. I mean, this would have been green and lush. Uh, and much more character friendly, um, and and this don't get me wrong, the, the work they've done here is good. I mean, I, I again, I think Merm, uh, you know, Nemo, for all of it having piggybacked on you know the Nemo submarine voyage for Disneyland, is still an effective and fun attraction. It's not bad. I mean, they they move people through. There's rarely a wait. I mean, there's a, a wait when it opened, but now I mean, it's it's you know walk on five minutes most of the time. No, that's it exactly. Are there any plans for a coral reef? Um. Every restaurant at Walt Disney World now is in play. You know, I mean, it just, it's just—it's—it's kind of—it's uh, just the age we're facing. Um, in fact, remind me—I uh, was talking with a friend about the change on the, uh, the the reservation thing they're about to do, where you—you you know how you can make multiple reservations with a credit card? And uh, yeah, they're actually—I think they're cutting back on that now, where you—you—you um, you, you can't. Well, they're about to put a $10 hold fee, and if you don't show... Really? Yeah, I mean, literally last night, I got called about that. Um, so, that's, you know, they're going to creep that out, like, 
sometime between now and November, if I'm understanding correctly. Really? So roughly between now and the time the podcast comes out, we should start seeing version one of that come out? There might be. That's uh, I'll 10 bucks. I'll have one info for you what that are Wednesday. Well, no one's, no one's going to make reservations anymore. Well, th- that's the know. whole point. You see, the, the problem is that you've got all these people who have figured out how to game the system. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the fact that what they figured is that all the reservations have to be under a name. But, for example, if I make a reservation under James Hill, and then I make another reservation at a different restaurant at Jim Hill, and then if I make another reservation under Jimmy Hill, right. you can hold three different reservations and walk into a park and decide where you want to go. And... The computer system still accepts those. So now it's like, and what they're finding is they have um, a no-show rate that can vary from 25 to 40 percent. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. So during during off season, it's uh, it's huge. During peak season, it's it's like five percent. Well, no. So we're walking. Uh, we're walking. By the, by the way, uh, for those of you listening and noticing the change in uh, in background noise, we've just walked through the back entrance of uh, the Seas Pavilion. So we're in Sea Base Alpha right now, and we're walking through the gift shop. Yeah, this is when this initially opened. When it was, you know, when it was United Technologies. Uh, By the way, that's the only thing I know about United Technologies is that they once uh, sponsored Seabase Alpha. <laughs> well, it was definitely kind of a difficult shoehorn. You know, they were the ones they were willing to come in. But, but did you have any idea before then what they did as, a, as an organization? I mean, it was like Amalgamated Industries Incorporated. They were, they, I, they did helicopters. Really? Yes. They, I mean, it was really not a great fit. But it got this place open. I mean, and that, you know, that, they were really sweating. Um, they were sweating in terms of uh, getting sponsors for this thing? Because this thing's huge. Yeah, but they struggled everywhere to get sponsors for this thing. I mean, for example, uh, one, the Wonders of Life Pavilion. They thought, oh, we're going to have no problem. We're going to have insurance companies. We're going to have pharmaceutical companies. You know, we'll get this locked. And it took them years to get MetLife. Wow. So we're, uh, we're up on the second floor now of CBS This place is incredibly noisy. It's way noisier than I, than I thought it would be. So we're coming up on the, uh, on the manatee display. Manatees, of course... <laughs> What was what was what's the what's the thing about about manatees? Is it nature's tofu or something like that? Uh, well, is the manatee be, out? I don't see the manatee, but I could be blind. If you were a Florida boater, they're, they're, they're nature's speed bumps. <laughs> um, they are the, the sweetest creatures, though. I, I had I had a cousin who worked at SeaWorld. In fact, he left SeaWorld to come do large animals for. Um, for Disney's Animal Kingdom, and please don't make the joke that him being my cousin, he had lots of experience with large animals. So, but I remember one day he, he takes me backstage, and it's like they have this this pool that has to be maybe thirty feet across, and ridiculously sea green water that you can't see him, but there are three gray lumps, and he like he hands me a head of lettuce and just put it under the water, and it's like okay, and the lump drifts over to you, and it's like. They have, uh, you know, I'm now feeding amenity, and they have the softest mouth. They just, yeah. this, and, and in fact, it was, and you just pet them. They're, they're bristly, but they're really sweet, gentle creatures. That, that unfortunately, in our age of jet skis, and you know, you know, just they can't make it. Yeah, it's from a different time. Well, the weird thing is, that if you talk with the people at Animal Collection at SeaWorld, there's actually a hard number that everybody has agreed to, that when they go out and do the count, you know, in Florida, and manatees have drifted below that number, it's an agreed-upon number that's okay, they are now at a non-survival point, and we go out and collect. And, you know, they're going to try to save the species that way. Oh, really? So, yeah, I mean... 
So now we're walking back uh, in the, so on the second floor of the observatory. We're walking now down into the tunnel where we've got um, glass uh, windows on either side of us, and we see uh, lots and lots of fishes swimming by on either side. So on the left-hand side, we've got uh, we've got dolphin. On the right-hand side, lots of little fish. And again, Jim, everywhere we go, we see animals. Them's good eating. I can't believe how noisy it is here. Well, again, because I have family that worked this... I have a great story to share about the dolphins here were psychotic. The, dolph- the dolphins were psychotic here? Well, they... We're not talking about, like, Mercury Morris back when he was on cocaine, right? Well, no, as in there are... If you'll notice, there are rays in the water here. Right. Uh, stingrays, right? Okay. And the dolphins got so bored here that they actually they invented a game... <laughs> and it, it, just above the water here, there are steel rails, support rails. And what the dolphins figured out what they could do is that they came up under a ray fast enough and they could flip it out of the water onto the, the steel. <laughs> and it was like, literally, the people would be working here, they'd, they'd see, and a ray would come out, and it's be dangling at like crap. And have to go out and fix it. And it was like... Jimmy, go get the rays. Yeah, but it was, it was literally, the dolphins were entertaining themselves because they were so bored. And it would, you know, that became part of the okay, you know, we, we they actually had to put up a fence to keep. Okay, the dolphins will stay in here. Yeah. And that's nice too. Because if you notice on the dolphin side, if you notice on the dolphin side, there aren't any other fish over there. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's because you know they can't play nice. They they can't play nicely with the other fish. That's what happens. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> but no, it's, this is so impressive, so beautiful. Um, so I, I love it when, when a message of ecology is shouted at you, Jim, because that, that really makes the message more effective when people scream at you. What is that? Is that a tarpon? That thing's huge. Yeah, no. I mean, and you've got, you know, this means they've got a back door. On the, the only reason you're seeing natural light here right now is they got the back door open. They're- oh, that's right. So Jim and I are look, out looking at the, uh, so on the second floor, we're looking into the, the, the deepest part of the main tank, and there's light filtering in on the back wall and the only reason we can see the back wall is apparently somewhere above us someone left a door open and light is streaming in it's kind of i've never actually seen this before and i've been here a lot but but again there you can see this steel ray so again if we were dolphins loose they'd be dangling right <laughs> that's right we can see the steel that's amazing that's fun all right looks like we're roped off oh and they're the dolphins themselves they're big nice doing well this is good. It's nice here. You know what they need here? Seats. Well, you know, they don't. They want you to come in. They don't want you to linger. You know. Um, We've got a throughput thing we got to hit. Yeah. No, that's it exactly. But it is. It, it's well done. It's charming. There is... Um, they've just now begun to acknowledge that they have a, an issue with the acrylic here. Really? Because this thing's like seven inches thick, isn't it? Well, it, it's not so much... It's the clarity. Oh, whoa, whoa. Right, it's not as clear as it could be? Yeah, I mean, notice that it's 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 this sort of a dulling, a yellowing. Yeah, you know, and I thought that was my eyes. I thought I was just getting old. Now you're facing a situation where do you replace your acrylic? You know, um, How would they they'd have to... They'd have to... Uh, would they drain the tank for that? Oh, it's, it's a... It, that's, it's a the, that's the thing. This isn't like your home aquarium where you just go buy another one and put, put the fish in that for a little bit. No, absolutely. Oh, if we hang here for a minute, we'll get the big show moment. Okay, so, uh, oh, so, uh, so Jim and I have walked out now of the main building. We're looking down over the first floor, 
and a diver a diver is just now coming out of the uh, out of the tube where he was uh, they fill it with water and they, they transport him up into the uh, into the tank he's coming out now he's uh, coming out oh it's, it's like a superhero coming out of the uh, out of the phone booth <laughs> you know Clark damp <laughs> and they're filling in they're filling the tank again with water slowly slowly now if you were an evil scientist you'd be going all <laughs> right now that's great. Um, I, I, again, there are there's great show moments. I mean, again, this is this is Disney. They, they can they can tell stories. They they can they can dazzle you. But Epcot, so often, it wasn't Disney deciding what stories were being told. It was the, the sponsors. They so desperately needed to make the money, you know, the money to build this place. Right. So often, they would end up defaulting to well, what is the, what is this sponsor? What, what is message? it you want to do? Well, what's yeah. your idea? So no. that's the, that, that's how I feel about. This attraction, I love the idea, and remember the original movie where they talked about you, know, the season, and everything. Yep. That was a great introductory movie, but then you get to Sea Base Alpha, and it's it's so unstructured that it's not cohesive. Like I get the idea that you can go from place to place and discover stuff, but but where's the overarching thematic element? Where's the where's the thing that says this this is what Sea Base Alpha is? Well, the other thing, actually, for the redo for Nemo, in fact, the, in, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but they went with a, a blue color scheme, you know, shades of blue. They, remember, when you were initially in here, this was somewhat white, somewhat austere, but the color actually helped lighten the room, and you, you could see... Yeah, it's pretty dark here right now, by the way. It's, uh, so now we've got uh, teals and blues, and it's it's dark. And and that's what kind of bit them in the ass. Now, now couple that, though, with... Um, you've got, you know, the first of the living character and issue, you know, attractions in here or shows. You've got, you know, uh, Turtle Time with Crush. And, you know, that, since it opened, has been, you know, a top five show for the park. Uh, oh, yeah. It's still still popular. You know, interestingly, they, um, they exported the technology to other parks, right? So we go to, uh, uh, to Disneyland Paris, and they've got a Stitch attraction that does... That's the only Stitch attraction that works anywhere in the world. Well, but you know, that's... And, and I don't think it's Stitch, by the way. I think it's the fact that the show works, not that not, not that Stitch works. Well, also, you know, the, the the nice thing is that Stitch is an alien, and and with the park having, it's a multicultural park that it makes. Oh, no, you don't have to understand. Yeah, no, it, 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 he he struggles with language. You struggle with language, and that actually makes it workable. Well, that totally so, makes sense. Yeah. Um, no, they've actually talked about bringing. That shows stateside here, but you know the reality is that Less you know we'll speak English. Yeah, so it's like, you know, where where is our struggling moment? Oh, that's funny. That's good. All right. Well, anything uh, anything on the horizon for uh, for the seas coming up? Um, that depends on who you talk to. Is, is there a sponsor now for this pavilion? I don't think there is. No. 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 And okay. You know that's where the conversations get kind of interesting because. <sighs> If all goes according to plan, there may be another Nemo film. And Finding Nemo 2? Well, no. They, they just Revenge of Mr. Ray. <laughs> and, well, the interesting thing is actually Ellen DeGeneres, who's really been leaning on them very hard about, you know, I want there to be a new Nemo film. You know, I liked making this. And Disney's like, well, you know... Here's a woman who has, you know, this talk show that's very popular, who loves working with us. It's like, can't we accommodate her in some way? Can't we we do a Christmas special or something? No, seriously. Absolutely seriously. And it just, 
So the notion is that if we're going to do that, is there anything we can piggyback on that? Is Can we do, if not a ride film, can we do a 3D experience? Can we do something? You know, just let's take advantage of this window. And, and But the problem is that, again, Pixar being as secretive as it is, nobody's willing to talk about it yet. You know, we're, we're in a very, very, very loose-leafed area right there. But the idea is to take advantage of that and just repurpose things and bring it here. Um, yeah, it would kind of make sense. I mean, so, I think... Isn't isn't it true that uh, like everywhere within um, everywhere within the film division now somebody's somebody is on on the film saying how are we going to turn this into a theme park ride? Oh no, absolutely. They actually they they refer to them as the speed teams now. That you know if you're if you're a uh, a tentpole film or an animated feature, there are literally meetings every week where it's consumer product sits down, yet it's you know PR sits down, theme park sits down. It's like where are we, you know, in regard to we're 18 months out, we're a year out, we're six months out. You know, what are we doing to get the word out? What are we, how are we going to capitalize on this? How are we going to extend the brand? Hmm. And, you know, uh, that's where we are now in regard to Living Seas. It's just sort of the notion of, you know, this is where we're having that conversation about can we do something more with Nemo or can we do something more with Ariel? Uh, in fact, getting back to the the Coral Cafe, that that there's at least, you know, <laughs> I, up to the $20,000 or $30,000 that's been sent on, on the notion of, of Ariel's Grotto, a retheming of that, you know, as a restaurant. Oh, so, like the, uh, so the same name that they have out in DCA, mm-hmm. but here, and actually a grotto under the sea. That's it, exactly. Yeah, cool. you know, Very um, good. But at the same time, why, you know, it then becomes the constant argument of why spend the money? Yeah, when, when you're selling out every yeah. every sitting already, you know, so. that's interesting. Uh-huh. All right, so we're getting ready to walk into the land pavilion. I actually like the land pavilion quite a bit. I like t- a couple things about it. Number one, um, I like the uh, artwork on the way in the, the sort of the strata. Oh no! But absolutely. also, it's you notice it's one of the few attractions that have a lot of trees around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the the one thing I don't like though, this is this little cardio test that you're walking uphill, you know, in the morning. I mean, if you do this, so you you do it once to get your fast pass. You do it again, maybe to eat lunch. You do it again to, to, to ride Soren. At the end of the day, you're on your little Stairmaster thing going on here. Well, you know, it's... it's but again, you, you have to get up here so there could be a basement. Again, That's right. The, they're, they're, they're making you walk up the stairs just on the outside, and it's a ramp. You know, this isn't the kingdom. We don't have utilidors here. Well, no, we have one corridor that runs under, you know, the... Uh, uh, Comedicore in inventions area, but that's it. Right. You know. Uh, but here, I mean, you have to get up to this level so you can do your boat ride on the, the ground floor. On the ground floor, that's right. Because this isn't Las Vegas and you're not going to put the boat right on the second floor. <laughs> so I do like this entranceway, too, because you get to... Uh, well, now they're stacking uh, they're stacking wheelchairs in front of it, but uh, wow, that's a lot of ECVs. Uh, that's what I mean. This is what that's I'm talking this, about. This, this, so we're, we just walked into the Soren Pavilion, and literally the entire front rail um, from over by Circle of Life... <laughs> All the way over to the ramp to uh, to Sorrent is filled with EC. It's like a convention of ECVs. Fifteen, 15 in a row, taking up literally the entire. You cannot walk all the way to the rail because ECVs are, ECVs are there. But uh, but this is one of my favorite entrances. Number one, sight. Right. So you walk in. You've got the tall ceiling. You've got the balloons floating in the middle when it's a little bit more sunny. Well, I guess they've got it dimmed. Um, but sometimes there's the sun streaming through. But also you've got smell from um, Sunshine Seasons below. Cheese bread. Woo-hoo. Cheese bread. Woo. 
Ooh. It's actually Sensory Seasons is, is fabulous, by the way. Um, and then you've got uh, you've got different attractions, and they're they're well distributed too. So you've got Soren to your left. You've got Garden Girl straight in front of us. So when when that's, they're actually not serving lunch, but uh, but if they were, they'd be there. Uh, you've got uh, the land, uh, like around the two o'clock position, and then you've got uh, Circle of Life. So things are working out uh, pretty well. So let's uh, let's take a walk back to, down to Circle of Life. We'll walk around the pavilion. Okay. Any, anything new going on with Circle of Life? Is uh, is 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 conservation still in, Jim? <laughs> You know, the interesting thing is that they were quite seriously talking about changing this film out, and then suddenly the Lion King is the top. You know, the the well, the Lion King 3D right now is two, the top is the top two film. weekends in a row. Two weekends in a row, yeah. And about to go out, on th- and it's just suddenly it's like, wait a minute, why would we change? Why this? would we take this out? Yeah. So you notice though, Jim, they've actually added signage. Yeah. So when you come in now, when you uh, they've added signage that points out. The Circle of Life film. This this wasn't here a few months ago. So when you walk in now, if you go to the right uh, and you walk towards Circle of Life, there's actually signage that explains um, what Circle of Life is. And it's got Timon and Pumbaa, which is interesting because if you're looking at the marquee for Circle of Life, all you see is really you see a globe. And you kind of see uh, Simba, Timon, and Pumbaa, but they're, they're dark. Yep. Um, they're dark silhouettes against a bright globe. It kind of doesn't really explain what. Oh, and also the uh, the title, "Circle of Life: An Environmental Fable," is not selling it to kids. No, no, it isn't. But no. it, but again, to, to their credit, you know, and, and Disney is good about recognizing that, you know, from a signage point of view. Um, but yeah, the, the, the other thing that's interesting about this film is that it was it was actually done by the old Florida Animation Studio. All of the animation was, in fact. A number of animators who actually worked on Lion King, who did the, uh, in fact, Florida basically did the "I just can't wait to be king" number just from the film. Can't wait. But they ended up doing. King. I wasn't done, Jim. I was going to be trolling. Sorry. Yeah, it's alright. Um, but yeah, they, they worked on it, so it's it's it, you know it's sort of it's a historical artifact of what this you know a more what, innocent time when the studio actually used to be a studio. Hey, I remember that vaguely. All right, so now we're walking downstairs. We're going to walk past um, Living with the Land and past some ride named Soren. Living with the Land, I still love it. I still love the attraction. It, it got me interested in hydroponics, not for growing weed, I might add. Ah. But, you know... I'm the one. <laughs> but the sad part of, of that attraction is the narration has gone away. Yeah, right. so it used to be human narration, which, I mean, it was hit or miss on the human narration. Mm-hmm. But now it's just, it's just automatic, and it's, it's lost some of its charm. Well, the other thing, I think. you know, the, the interesting is to think that's the exact same thing they've done on the buses. That, and in fact, Disney. Has, oh, that's right. Yeah, no more, uh, no more bus driver uh, narration. And and supposedly it was actually to shut down the infamous bus driver rumor that you know that the the bus driver would entertain you by, well, you know, they're going to do the Smurf ride. You know? <laughs> A fifth gate is coming up soon. It is. But hey, um, I didn't say that. Um, but. Anyway, over here. So we're walking up towards uh, Soren right now. So we've got uh, sort of bathroom store left. We've got Soren straight ahead of us. Uh, fifty-five minute wait. I'm guessing it's not really fifty-five minutes. We've got a uh, seven forty-five return time for Fast Pass. So we've got uh, people exiting from the uh, from the boat ride. Hey Jim, have you ever been on the um, the um, the tour? Oh yeah. Behind the scenes. Back in the day, though. I mean, it's been a number of years since I've done it. Pl- plants still grow the same way. It's totally cool. Well, you know, it's, it, except for the horrible, horrible man-eating ones. But actually, you know, what intrigues me about this attraction is that that uh, literally, when they put soaring in, there's good, huge chunks of um, 
food rocks, literally just feet off to the left of this. I mean, you, you are cutting through parts of the theater. It used to be, so essentially it's, it's to the left of the, the stamp entrance, right? But they're right there. I mean, literally behind the wall. In fact, cast members, you know, if you it's, go... So if uh, if Tone Loke ever makes a comeback, or... There you go. Get a food wrapper. Uh, but yeah, it's it's still not all there, but there's enough there that... that but, you know, again, theme park fans, you know, are, are you know, are our affection toward these things. The people who build the, tra- the attractions are not. It's like wall up. I, I, if they can't see it, I don't need to spend money on it. I don't need to change that. Right. And so it's there. So, so speaking of uh, things that are still there, let's head over to the Imagination Pavilion. I, I hear there's still some stuff on the second floor. So anything about uh, Sunshine Season? Have you eaten here recently? Um, yeah. It, it, in fact, um, it was <laughs> I was backstage. This was 10 years ago now. And I, you know, just I was visiting a friend in Imagineering, and you know, just walked out by the loading dock, and literally sitting there on the loading dock, you know, just out in the Florida sun, is the little house and the rooster. You know, remember in here, it was like every fifteen minutes to mark the time, the rooster would come out and. Oh grow. yeah, yeah, right, right. It's literally it's the whole house. It's the assembly just sitting out in the sun, and I'm all I could back up the truck. That was the problem. I had a Geo Metro. Ah, you know, it's like, foiled again. You know, it's like, because I know they look in the windows and it's like, excuse me, sir, I don't remember you coming in here with your rooster friend. <laughs> we just met. Yeah, that's right. He asked me if I was right. In fact, he's asking me to help move his house. So. <laughs> that's it. So that's fantastic. All right, so we're walking out of the uh, out of the land pavilion. A lot of people coming in here. I'm surprised the garden girl doesn't do lunch. Uh, that that is a surprise, but you know the other. The other thing they come up again, if you think about it, right now, during food and wine, you don't want people sitting down. No, you want people moving around, uh, going booth to booth, spending three twenty-five per uh, per snack. No, absolutely, absolutely. But the, the other thing, frankly, that, that this is something that, that a lot of the restaurants at Disney World and a lot of, uh, of the longer attractions are dealing with, as the ticket price creeps up... You know, it's like, you know this from from the touring plans that people aren't really happy unless they get in. At least, what is it? Nine point nine or ten attractions. That's per... it exactly. And so, actually, the, the more that they, if they did more, they'd be even happier. Mm-hmm. But you know, so the the reality is to sit down for a leisurely sit down meal. Yeah. So Epcot's only open. Epcot's open twelve hours um, a day on average. But not all of it. But not all of it. Yeah, but not all of it. And the thing is, too, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend ninety minutes of it mm-hmm. on on meals, you're essentially taking what fifteen percent of your fifteen uh, percent of your day to one meal. So that's that's why quick service has flourished. And unless it's appointment dining or or character dining, right? You know, I mean, I, again, that's one of the notions of changing, uh, you know, uh, Coral uh, Coral Coral Cafe, Reef. Coral, Reef. Coral, Coral Reef into uh, an aerial dining experience. But even then, it's just sort of like, I'm already doing well with that. Why would I change that? Right. So. Let's walk over to, uh, to the Imagination Pavilion. Mm-hmm. This, is, um, this is an interesting walk from, from the land. So we're leaving a, a scented, so they're piping out smells from uh, Sunshine Seasons. It's canopied, it's dark, it's shaded, 
it's cool. And just as you leave the border of the, the land the land pavilion, bam, you're out in the Florida sun, <laughs> and it's 100 yards of concrete. It's like the DMZ between attractions. Oh, all, all we need here are, like, Korean snipers up on the tower, and it would be more difficult. Just imagine it's cooler than, you know, that. Yeah, yeah that's it. Just imagine. Use your imagination to think it's uh, you're in Iceland or something like that. Uh, but this is, uh, you know, I, I, lots of people have talked for years and years about the change-out of imagination. And again, this this honestly wasn't Disney's fault. Again, getting back to the, the language that's in the contracts, that right. at the time when this pavilion had to be changed, and, and Kodak actually insisted, right. uh, the problem was that Kodak was spinning in. It was the rise of the digital camera. They were, the film business was falling through the floor. They didn't have the big money for the redo. Yeah, they didn't have $30 million to spare. You know, and in fact... Um, so, you know, it was, and you know, at that point it was thought that Dreamfinder and Figment were quaint. And I, I will tell you, because I literally had a good friend who worked on the redo, and he called me one afternoon and he said, Well, they just sent me the list of celebrities for the attraction. It's, uh, it's Gavin McLeod, uh, <laughs> Michael Jordan. Really? Uh, well, it was literally, it was who Disney had relationships, who the, the theme park rights were available to. And at one point, they literally did up. The idea was you were being inserted into Michael Jordan's imagination. And and at one point, in fact, he sent me the art of you know, it was this giant sort of you know basketball like copper structure, but had like a funnel going off it. And the idea that you were going to be put into this thing and then pressurized and then shot into Michael Jordan's imagination and learn about how to be an excellent athlete. And Everybody was like, this is the worst idea we've ever heard, and how do we kill this? <laughs> Who thought of this, and how do we find them? So we're walking through the back of uh, Imageworks. Um, is, there anything going on, is there anything going on with the, uh, with the attraction, by the way? Um, you know, it, it's weird on the back of this being a year where there have been a couple of very high-profile appearances by you know, the Dreamfinder character, coupled mm-hmm. with how well the merchandise sells... There are always conversations now about, well, could we bring him back? But it's just like, it's, and in fact, there have been, you know, they've discussed different iterations of it. You know, one version was, okay, it's the, you know, it's like the, the Dreamfinder's son has to learn the family business. And, oh, right. yeah. you know, son of Dreamfinder? Yeah. Uh, or we get a celebrity to be the Dreamfinder. And, you know, I've, I've seen, again, the same thing. It's uh, the list where, they had Steve Martin as the Dreamfinder. They had Jack Black as the Dreamfinder. You know, Jack uh, Black as Dreamfinder might uh, might actually work. Well, that was the idea that that you you go with a young, enthusiastic. You well, know, he, could, he could do sequels. You know, and I don't know. Yes, it's did. it's a strange time because it's just sort of like everyone acknowledges there's affection for the character, but the other thing is that, and nobody ever talks about this, but Dreamfinder and Figment, it's they aren't just Disney's. They are co-owned by Kodak. Oh, are they really? I didn't know that. So there's intellectual property shared? That's it exactly. You know, that this was a character that was invented for that pavilion. And so now you're in this situation where if you're going to do something with him, you have to get the character, you know, you have to get Kodak on board. 
I'm going to see what this one does. So, so Jim and I are now playing with the uh, the Figments Melody Maker thing where you wave your hands and you get uh, different things. We're doing, uh, apparently, whatever. no matter how I wave my arms, I'm doing tuba. Hope you guys can listen to this. I'll give you a couple of seconds of background music. Staring at me with his dead eye. <laughs> I've got. It looks like Ariel in DCA. I've got. I've got nothing but tuba here. What's going on? All right. So apparently, uh, apparently, most of the orchestra is on uh, honors. So we're uh, so we're walking through the rest of the Imagination Pavilion. You've also got a uh, an area where uh, th- this was my favorite part of um, of the first version. So it's uh, lighted squares that you jump on and different sounds come out. This is just an advanced version of what was upstairs in ImageWorks. Absolutely, absolutely. and it, it's nice to see them revisit the concept. But and and doesn't doesn't everyone want their living room to work like this? Uh, <laughs> I'm not coming to your house. Uh, no, I again. This is what was affordable. You know, in fact, they recognized from the first horrible redo that they had to do something. They found more money. Um, you know, and they literally lifted up pieces of the track to try to put them back into the attraction. Yeah, so the interesting thing about about this from about ImageWorks from my perspective is the you know the the figments um, melody thing is great the the sound thing squares that you jump on and make noise that's great really everything else is webcams to send e- uh, pictures back home and they've got one two three four five six seven nine of them it's it's the bulk of the space is really webcams and I, I know that was great technology. Back 15 years ago, but and who, dude? My my iPhone does this now. Well, and what, better, I might add. What are the point? Look at what else is is eating up 90 percent of the space. Oh, retail is is eating up the rest of the space. Yeah. I mean, it just it was they had to persuade when they were doing the redo that they were going to make money, and this is between print on demand and you know, and in fact, that that's the other part of the story that um, in regard to shutting down the original version of the attraction that they didn't tell the retail people you know they just announced well we're going to do this we're going to take figment out and it's like are you high you're going to do what we make five hundred thousand dollars a year off of plush for figment you know are you you know where's my where's my half million dollars yeah where is that where else is that going to come from and it's like well i i know we have to do this kodak wants us to and um so yeah, between the awful, let's put celebrities in it to, you know, they, Doug and Mark, they, there was one version where they were actually Disney had the rights to Wallace and Gromit in the theme park, and we're gonna. I love do, Wallace and Gromit. And they will do that, you know. I'm motioning to uh, to Laurel to go up the stairs at, uh, at ImageWorks. <laughs> she won't do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, tell you what, we're gonna walk. We're gonna walk away, Laurel. You do what you think is best. Mm-hmm. All right, you wanna walk over to see uh, Future World uh, East? So. Oh, so sorry. Uh, Journey into uh, sorry, uh, Captain EO. How long is this thing going to be here? Um, J- uh, by the way, Michael Jor- uh, Michael Jackson's still dead. Well, <laughs> I, another part of the story. I just I think we talked about this earlier, but the the amount of money that uh, yeah, George Lucas is a very interesting deal with the Walt Disney Company. The deal is uh, not only with you know, the money he makes off of helping to develop the attractions and that sort of thing, but for every year an attraction is open in an individual Disney park, every single attraction that has his name on it, from the mind of George Lucas or whatever it is, he gets a million dollars a year. Wow. Okay, so when they decided to bring Captain EO back, 
there was no person on the planet more thrilled than George Lucas. $400 or $4 billion for doing nothing. Just, something he did 20 years ago. That's it, exactly. It's just, hey... You know, that ch- I, I love this idea, says yeah. Lucas. So, Do you need a quote from me? <laughs> <laughs> or my accountant? <laughs> uh, so we're, we're walking uh, back towards uh, Interventions uh, East. We're going past the upside-down uh, waterfall in front of Imagination. It's to our right. To our left is uh, uh, the back of, uh, back of Interventions West. So this is the sort of the... It used to be the, the Epcot history thing was here. Yeah. Yeah. They've got restrooms and stuff over there, and we'll walk uh, we'll walk over that way. It's, ni- it's nicely shaded over here too. I met it. Oh, absolutely, but again, it, it, for a temporary display space, you know. And again, you you keep these things in your inventory just in case you need them. Anyway, just to circle back for just a second. Uh, I got this from the head of communications and Imagineering, Jackson. Uh, Captain EO will stay open as long as there's a crowd. Really? And then when... D- define crowd, though, did they say? Well, you know... I mean, it's still pulling in a few people. It's probably doing yeah. better than Imagination was. Well, I hate to say this, but with the Conrad Murray trial going on right now, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, let's go see that. You know. Mike, he, Michael Jackson is still in the news one way or the other. Yeah, and, and Cirque du Soleil is you know, starting its tour. You know, it's Michael Jackson-themed show next year. I would anticipate... Is that, is that a tour or are they going to Vegas with that? <sighs> well, you know, just this morning I saw the... Um, <laughs> The ad for the, the the stop here in Orlando, so it's a concert tour. Wow, really? Yep. So, anyway, uh, if you don't like Captain EO, I don't have good news for you. It's here for a while. So. That's fine because originally they said originally they said it's a limited engagement. They actually promoted it. Yep. Limited engagement. You know, we don't know how long this is going to last, but now we're on year two, right? Yep. And I would anticipate at least another two. I and at least another two. At least another two. Are they going to replace? Are they going to bring back uh, Honey Shrunk the Audience then? Because at that point it'll be thirty years old, right? No, in fact, uh, at that point it'll be twenty years old. They got no thirty. So many guest complaints about the snake. Oh, the uh, the effects yeah. in scaring children. And then that was the thing that you bring your kid in, you sit them down, and yeah, yeah so, you know, you're walking in and they're saying, "How, oh, by the way, this show has intense effects, intense effects." And who listens? No, no one listens. So, um, oh. Kitty pool. Oh, so we're uh, so yeah. So we're walking. By the way, we're walking. So we're walking past a. Um, we're in this, the middle part of Future World now, right now, and there's this. Uh, there's this really neat uh, display that. Uh, it's called Discover the Cranberry. It's a cranberry bog in the middle of Future World. So right, right before the entrance to World Circus, you can kind of see the U.S. Pavilion off to the side. But they've got this sort of uh, uh, triangular shaped um, uh, wooden planter. It's about two feet high. Around the edges are ferns, like you know, bushes, cranberry bushes, um, and in the middle is this cranberry bog. It's about two feet of water, and they've got somebody from Ocean Spray yep. standing in the middle of it, and the thing is filled with cranberries. It's hysterical. Well, it, 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 again, a floating planter, if you will. It's a floating planter. That's right. It's water filled. Yeah. So, how long do the uh, how long do the they replace the cranberries? Are they, those are real, right? The real cranberries, and you know, they came from the corporate headquarters in. I want to say Lakeville, Massachusetts. And what's funny is that when they initially proposed this idea last year, that did it for food and wine, and Disney wanted to test how long the cranberries were going to work. And, you know, because again, normally when. when What's well, fruit? It'll perish, right? It'll eventually go, it'll go bad. But it, you know, Ocean Spray does this all the time. They've, they've done. You know, they built bogs at like Rockville Center, they built them on Hollywood Boulevard, but typically they're for three days and then they're gone. So they're Three talk- days? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So they're talking about doing it for six weeks. So it's like, let's do a very scientific. T- 
study. So what they did is they filled a kiddie pool with water, put it out back at Epcot, and filled it with cranberries. And every so day, few days, we'd check to see how well the cranberries did. And they lasted like two or three weeks. So now the, just the plan is that, okay, you know, when they start to go off, they will just take them all out. And every put, couple of weeks, they'll get a skimmer. That's right. That's right. Great. So, um, but actually, it gets better. They're, as part of food, of food and Wine, I forget the name of the chef, but right. they're going to do... A cooking demo in the bog. No. Seriously. Oh, they're, they're not using electric blenders, I'm, well, I'm no, presuming, no, here I, with that. I, that was my question. But, you know, they promised me photos. They promised <laughs> With you know, a Cuisinart? Will they hold a Cuisinart? I, you know, it's like... Never mind that, just standing in at the crater. Never mind, never mind Ocean Spray. The guys from OSHA will be there going, <laughs> oh, no, you don't. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> so, watch out for that. I mean, just, that, that kills me. That's got to be classic. Yep, so... All right, so we're walking back towards the fountain right now. There's not a show going on, but you guys can hear... Uh, Definitely hear um, music going on in the background. Passing the stage that was built for... Oh, what was the name of that stage show? The, uh, you know, Mickey's Colorscape or or something to that effect. I mean, the gimmick was... Mickey's Colorscape? Did it involve LSD? Well, actually, it's what was funny is that that they actually took... um, It was a show that had been done in front of the... The castle, it's uh, Cinderella Castle of Tokyo Disneyland. So okay. You have to understand this. You're bringing an incomprehensible Japanese, you know, theme park show and dropping in the middle of Epcot. All right. The, what, what could possibly go wrong with that? So it's all of the characters on stage, and it, it's aliens arrive. You know, and I say this: this is the older edition of Epcot before they really did. You know, they, they really up the colors. Right. So it's like, the theme is that the aliens are arriving to steal all of the colors. And so think from, of, from Epcot. Yes. So the it's like, oh, wait a minute, beige. Never mind. Obviously, <laughs> someone else has been there. They've stolen the beige and replaced it with taupe. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly. Sandstone. <laughs> you know, show kind of derailed in the first couple of minutes. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, but that's, that's classic. All right, so we're making our way to Future World uh, East. We're going to walk... Want to walk through interventions real quick? Sure. All right. I like. Do you like electric umbrella? By the way, it's one of the few. It's one of the few places you can get free drink refills. Yeah, and, and here, you know, particularly in this park, that's a lifesaver. Oh yeah, because we just walked through what uh, three miles of concrete. Mm-hmm. And looming in the distance. Looming in the distance is Mission Space. So that's another one of those great what if attractions. I mean, don't get me wrong. What's there? Is 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 good if you remember to keep your head pointed straight forward. You know the. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that many warning messages since the Alice first came out. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. But but the original version of it was that you were actually supposed to get out, not on you know, I mean, not a simulator, not a test to go to Mars. You were actually supposed to fly to a space station and step out into this this huge space that they were going to convince you was in in space. Actual deep space with this really relatively easy to pull off illusion. I mean, mind you, it was a lot of computer um, power to do it. Yeah. But you had windows in the floor, windows in the wall, windows in the ceiling. And right. you had a starscape that naturally rotated through all of the windows. That Oh, nice. You know, and just the whole notion of, okay, I am someplace because I can look out the window and see where I am. Nice. So we're, uh, we're in Interventions uh, East right now. We're walking through the... Uh, the underwriter's laboratory lab where you get to play with different things and uh, and test them and break them. It's, actually, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. The thing I like about this the most 
is it's uh, it's hands-on, right? So you can try and bust up a television. You can try and see what it's like to open open and close a door a million times. And just for effect, uh, you guys have been here before. You know that um, there are pads where you can jump on a pad on the floor. And uh, when you do that, a door opens and closes. And as of now, each door, so the, the leftmost door, had been opened 974,588 times. Uh, 89. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's great. Here's one of my favorite rides, though, in, in all of Interventions right here. It's a sum of all thrills. Classic ride. I don't know how much these things cost, Jim, but if you ever need to stage a party, you put one of these in your house. Oh, and oh, this is another one of those great what might have been. This is the Kuka arm. This is the Kuka arm that's the basis for the Harry Potter attraction over at Universal, right? And was supposed to be the basis of the Incredibles ride for Tomorrowland at both Disneyland and Disney World. Oh, it totally would have made sense as an Incredibles ride. In fact, what was great about this proposed ride was that you could literally fine-tune it. I mean, you got on the thing, and there were five buttons in front of you, and did you want the Jack-Jack level, the relatively gentle, all the way up to Mr. Incredible, where basically it shook you into the fillings came out of your... (laughs) Nice. Um, It's a great ride, though. It's very customizable, and kids love it. Kids love the fact that you can actually... It's interactive, right? You can you can play with you could you could play with the track layouts and and do whatever you want with it, and then and and it's rewritable because you know the maximum score is just under thirteen hundred points, but they give you a score at the end, and you know, depending on what your score is, you know if you're like at five hundred, they'll tell you ah you know next time you know do this and this and this, and it'll be much more intense. And I think you know for teenagers that's you know that's like uh, that's like catnip. No, absolutely. But supposedly. Um, Disney was only able to get the the, the arms that were here, uh, the Kuka arm that's in doing the anglerfish for, for Nemo, and then Universal got the, the exclusive and the theme park rights to the technology. But I think it's a five-year exclusive. So the interesting thing, it'll be, in, you know, when the exclusives off to see those coming Two, come two more years, right? Yep. Yeah, so. that'll be interesting. So over by uh, Stormstruck right now, mm-hmm. this is a this is an interesting attraction. It's, it's actually not bad. It could be... It's not a, it, for intervention. It's not a bad attraction. It's not bad at all. It's a, so it's a simulator. You go through a, you go through uh, an actual storm, and they, they, the the cool thing is, so they, they walk you through all the all the things that a, a tornado can do, mm-hmm. and then they give you um, a series of choices on how you design your own suburban house. Mm-hmm. Things like um, whether you have a pitched roof or a flat roof, and whether the sides of your house um, curve in a little bit or whether they're straight. And each of those decisions, whether you have uh, shingles or tiles. Or you, or you make it out of balsa wood. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's, well, it's actually straw, <laughs> wooden, no, wait, wrong, wrong, wrong story there, sorry. But uh, yeah, and then you, then they simulate a storm and then, uh, and then you go. But it's, uh, it's pretty neat. It's, uh, it's actually not bad. And it's in 3D too. And actually it's 4D because they, they throw water on you when you're going through the storm. But you see, now that's, that's, that's classic Disney education. I mean, it's entertaining. Yeah, it's entertaining, and you're learning something. Let's say I've learned now that my, the second floor of my house needs to be uh, pitched in a little bit so that it's not uh, acting as a sail for the wind when tornadoes come. Absolutely, absolutely. It's very good. So we let's walk. Yeah, let's walk back through uh, interventions because it's air conditioned, and we'll pick up with um, with uh, Universe of Energy. So we're walking. We're walking out here, and uh, it looks like on our right they're doing a new attraction called. Habit Heroes, presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield, Anthem and Blue uh, Anthem and Blue Shield of Florida. So I'm guessing that it, it, if it's called a Habit Heroes, and it's sponsored by an insurance company, 
Oh, oh, I know what this is. I know what this is going to be. You're going to get halfway through the ride, and they're going to decide that you don't have coverage anymore, and they're going to kick you off. <laughs> oh, sad but true. But realistically, this is, you know, Disney is on a health food kick. You know, Disney is on, you know, the cliche of the theme park fan who is heavy set and eats only junk food is starting to worry Disney. <laughs> Because it's not the, it's not how they want to represent themselves. Well, plus the parks are huge too, right? I mean, it's it's hard to get around if you're. Yeah. Again, you know the, the fifteen you know vehicles we just saw. Yeah, that was that was actually amazing. That was I've never seen that before. That many ECVs stacked up. So we're walking up to a Universe of Energy right now. It's got its. We're walking at the side of, of Interventions, and we're walking up onto the mirrored side of uh, of Energy. So. All we see are the mirrored tiles, and we've got the reflecting pool out back. You know, I think if they focused this the right way, you could actually burn down Interventions. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that like an Archimedes mirror or something like don't that? Don't tell people that. And look, I've, I've never actually seen it. So what, monorail going overhead, monorail uh, burgundy again. Um, is that the exit to, uh, to Energy right there? Yep, dumps you right over Ah, dumps you right here. Okay, good. So we're, let's, walk past, uh, let's walk past Energy. Anything going on with Energy, by the way? Well, again, remember, we were talking about... Ellen DeGeneres pushing very heavily to do the, the follow-up Nemo project. She was great in this, by the way. I think she she's, she's really she's really lent lent this thing new life. The, the interesting things too is be, because because she sort of got her second wind with her talk show, mm-hmm. and Bill Nye is still in the news. Yep. And he's still he's still you know active. This this thing is what fifteen years old now. Yep, it's it's still going strong. Well, they're they're looking to refresh, and but the problem is that Ellen really no longer looks like Ellen. Uh, did then. No, she, yeah, so. she looks slightly different. I mean, she's getting older, but she's still... Oh, no, 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 no. It, it, it's just the notion of... And more to the point, our attitudes toward technologies have, have changed subtly. So so we're a, so a, a giant oil refining company uh, isn't uh, isn't the best sponsor for your well, you know, we, we need a variety of uh, of opinions on this or, or a variety of voices. Disregard what just helped happened in the Gulf. So right, uh, right, right, right. So as part of the, the bigger conversation with her is like if... We do this. Would you be then be willing to help us with a redo of energy? And the conversation is progressing. I, I won't say that definitively, you know, it's going to happen, but the conversation is progressing. Uh, so Ellen wants to do a redo of Nemo, and this is sort of like, if you do that, can you know, if we there do that, you can you do this for us? There you go. That kind of makes sense. So, um, but anyway, here we come on Mission Space, and <sighs> just kind of interesting to have to watch them take one of the simulators. In fact, isn't it interesting that the green one, is, is it the green one that actually spins? The green one does not spin. The orange one does. So, uh, so, so actually, they should have inverted it. Green should have been for vomit, as far kind of, as I was concerned, but, so. but for, the, uh, for the spinning end. Yeah, but what I've heard is, mm-hmm. um, I've heard mm-hmm. that the green side will always have a lower weight than the orange side. So even literally, if there's no one in the park, there's literally no one in either line, the orange side wait time will always be higher than the green side. Just so, mm-hmm. if you have any doubt about which attraction, which side you're going to go on, you go on the you prefer the green side, just to avoid liability. Wow. Okay, makes sense. But you know, again, sadly, this was a ride technology. They were hoping to walk around the world, and after all of the problems and you know the couple of of you know between the health issues and the one or two people who you know seriously you know the. <sighs> There's at least one or two people who walked out of this thing and keeled over. But the reality is, there are people who walk off of Snow White and keel over. Yeah, it just happens. I mean, yeah. again, it's 20 million people a year. Some some people yeah, statistically I mean, it, will it's just a, die. It's a city. It's a, a full-size city. 
and you know just randomly this will happen but again because it's the death was linked to uh, yeah they just come off the ride yeah so it just it, it, it became a ding and now this is not going to travel and now on the other hand we're walking up on test track and yeah so you mentioned so but sorry but, uh, you mentioned the uh, the desk remember when the, uh, the there was the monorail accident a couple of years ago mm-hmm. one of the uh, one of the things that we did for the uh, for the guide was we figured out the uh, the the passenger death per sorry the deaths per passenger mile mm-hmm. of the monorail yep. versus of walking from the contemporary to, to the magic kingdom mm-hmm. to try and figure out which mode of transportation was safer so it turns out that the fatality rate for pedestrians, is significantly higher, like like uh, between ten and a hundred times higher than the fatality rate on monorails. So, it, no, no matter, no, I don't, I don't know how the monorail thing turned out, but no matter what, monorails are safer than walking. Well, also, you know, to be honest, if, if those who have lived in Orlando for a number of years now will tell you that, you know, there was a rather famous monorail fire. Back. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they, where they had to vac, oh, and they were on the uh, berm, right? Sorry, they were on the, they were on the uh, the track, right in the middle. But it gets better. They one of the theaters here in town turned it, literally. They did a musical called The Great Monorail Fire, and it oh, like a community theater thing. Yeah, but it ran for months here because it was it riffed on Disney. It was you know there were so many people who work for theme parks and who work with Disney here that it, it just did. You know, great business for uh, you know, for the better part of two or three years. So, uh, the the things you guys can hear in the background are the uh, the different cars for test track. It sounds like they're really putting them through here. I mean, they're running through like every ten or fifteen seconds. It seems like. No, it, it's definitely got great capacity. But more to the point, um, you know, for those of you in California, you're going to get to ride a slightly dumbed down version of this in Carsland uh, next. That's right, same technology, right? No, actually, I heard different uh, different car technology, but same idea. Yeah. Uh, the only difference in, with this one is there's actually going to be a moment in the thing with two cars on the track where you're going to race and pass one another. So. Oh, side by side, right? Yep. So that's then that's the thing, right? And is that going to be random so that you know, one side wins sometimes? And uh, magic. Or, or, or does random does random cost money? Well, more to the effect of it's getting random past legal. Ah, got to get it. You know, in vehicles full of people. So, um, so we're walking in, in the back of Test Track right now. We're going to go into the uh, Discovery Center where they've got uh, all of the GM cars. And the last time I was here, Jim, the thing that the thing that I noted was um, GM had just started stocking um, Chevy Vol- uh, sorry Volts, and they actually had one here. They've got a Volt here, but you can't touch it. <laughs> like here's our here's our new car. It's gonna save the company. You can't get anywhere near it. Is that the one up there in stage? I don't know. Let's go say. Okay. So we're passing by a series of nondescript General Motors cars. There's a Cadillac. Is that the old? Seriously, we need. Remember the days when you could tell GM cars from everybody else? Fins. That's that's what GM needs, Jim. Fins. <laughs> All right, we had a Cadillac. We've got oh, this is the Volt. This is the 2011 Volt, the all-electric, 93 miles per gallon, 37 highway. Um, guess only 37. Let's see if we can get in. Is it open? Oh, you can get in the Volt these days. Thank you, GM, for listening to me. <laughs> you know, it looks like a regular car. It's uh, so we're not so, so. This is the second vehicle we've been in today besides the boat. It uh, looks like a regular car. Actually, it's pretty spacious. I, I'm kind of excited actually about the uh, the Volt. Yeah, I'm hoping it catches too. Yeah, it's uh, it's not bad for a little car. Good. I'm glad to see it's open. I think I hope they sell a million of them. Good for them. 
It's lightweight. It's small. It's sleek. Is that a uh, is that a sunroof? Durable tinfoil. <laughs> tinfoil. No, it's fine. It's fine. The uh, and the rest of it is well, just big GM cars. But the Volt is, I think, the star here. Although I'm a little scared that no one else is besides this, besides this, other than other than you or I, you and me. It's uh, it's not a bad looking car. All right. And that concludes our tour of. Uh, actually, everyone's over at the, at the everyone's over at the red uh, convertible Camaro. Now I understand. Yeah, I got it, got it, got it. Yeah, that's cool. All right, should we walk over to uh, to oh, World Showcase? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's only 1.24 miles, Jim. All right, fabulous. Let's walk over. Maybe we'll grab. Uh, it is food and wine, so maybe we'll grab some food and or wine. A beverage, a beverage. We need a beverage. Where will we find a beverage? Food and wine, Jim. All right, let's go. Yeah, the exit's that way. I love the gift shop. They cut a break with cars. Well, I mean, think about it. You know, you've got this you know, the sea of new merchandise. Oh, right, right. Cars merchandise. Got it. Yeah. A test truck. So, um, I mean, that's a franchise that they just they want to keep going. Um, well, they, they just did. They just did Cars Two. Is there going to be a Cars Three? No, actually, the, the, the interesting thing is they they, they have decided. That from here on in, it's planes. In fact, John Pryor has just agreed to do the voice of a little Piper Cub character that, you know, basically is, it's, it's just picture cars only done with 747s. And in fact, the, uh, the Learjet that uh, Flynn McMissile traveled in around the world is kind of the introductory character to this world. Oh, neat. Um, but yeah. So we'll, uh, we're going we're gonna to take a short break while we uh, walk on the uh, concrete walkway. Again, more concrete, Jim. Concrete uh, walkway over past the Odyssey uh, to Mexico, and we will pick it up in Mexico. See you guys there. All right, Jim, we're here in uh, World Showcase. We just walked past... The, uh, the Odyssey restaurant. We've got our nice cold Coca-Cola here. Interesting thing uh, in, in, for me in terms of architecture for the Odyssey restaurant is there's this pier that extends out from the Odyssey uh, almost halfway or about a third of the way um, towards the bridge between Future World and World Showcase. And this pier is completely exposed. They've got a couple of uh, seats with umbrellas at the end of it, but there is literally nothing shielding you from the direct Florida sun on this pier, so it's this concrete slab elevated above humid water, and there's literally not a soul on this thing. It's it's a modern day. It's only like 82, yeah. right? When it's like 95 degrees outside. Out of, out of, I mean, there's no one there now. No one would be out there. Mm-hmm. What are they? Uh, but the Odyssey's been closed for years. Are they doing anything with the Odyssey, Jim? Well, I, the Odyssey is one of it, like uh, the wonders of life pavilion. It, it it is pressed into service these days. You know, for special events, for whether you know wine pairings or, or that sort of thing, but there's a there's a an ambitious plan, much in the same way that uh, Fantasyland has been extended and reinvented, and or they're in the process of doing it over the Magic Kingdom. Epcot, the heart of Epcot, the transition point between World Showcase and uh, you know Future World is being eyeballed very heavily. Really? Well, I, I think about it. You know that, that so many people come here and love to dine, but they also want to dine and watch uh, 
they want to watch uh, Illuminations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing is one of the the primo places that you can actually watch uh, Illuminations is dead center, you know, right here as you come up. And so one of the things that they're eyeballing is... You know, in a weird sort of way, moving the gift shops down rather than having them close to the water, actually having them closer to uh, the uh, the entrance itself, actually pushing out into the bay, which has your ridiculous concrete thing. Right. Uh, but that, then you put a giant restaurant, sort of a crystal palace that has oh, lots, know, of, lots of glass so you can see the fireworks. See the fireworks. Now, if you do that, though, it then presupposes that if you're redeveloping your waterfront area, you're, you're pushing out... Since, you, since we've got the bulldozers out... That's right. Couldn't you be doing something with with uh, Odyssey? And where this gets interesting is that's where they've talked about doing the Brazil. Brazil. Well, and, and that's what's funny is just lately, um, the Brazilian press is all full of... You know, hey, Disney's talking to us again, and Disney's like, no, we're not. You know, and that's the whole point of a confidential conversation. Is it supposed to be a confidential conversation? Yeah, so we've actually we've actually uh, seen tweets uh, coming from people who said, "Hey, can anyone speak Portuguese?" Yes, yes. <laughs> so, I need to translate this press release. Uh, so, going to be interesting to see that that, like I said, this this plan extends beyond um, Fantasyland and. You know, now, and remember, that was one of the things that frustrated people about the Cameron uh, World of Pandora Avatar deal, Mm -hmm. is you've got Jay Rizzuto talking about, well, we'll just not do something we were going to do. And it's like, so what did he just shut down? Exactly. So nobody knows what he shut down yet? Yeah. And so it's like, what did he just pull the money for? Is that the redo of the heart of Epcot? Is that something else that was supposed to go into Animal Kingdom? Amazing. So we're uh, we're inside the uh, the Mexico Pavilion right now. One of my favorite pavilions, not just because they have tequila, but because of the uh, the atmosphere on the plaza on the inside. Is there a so, Jim? You and I were talking about this uh, at, our, at our meet. But one of the things I really like about what they've done with Mexico in terms of uh, food and beverage is they've brought in. Um, well, they brought in a new restaurant. So now uh, Mexico has two sit-down restaurants, right? They've got San Angel, they've got La Hacienda, they've got the Cantina, and then they've got La Cava del, del Tequila. So they've really got four places for food and beverage. But the other interesting thing I really like about this is that it's, it's, since it's not Disney-run, you can actually talk to the people who, who run these things. So ah. the, the, the people who are on Twitter, mm-hmm. you could eventually meet. Like when you, if you follow, if you follow uh, Cava del Tequila mm-hmm. on, uh, on Twitter... You can actually come and you know ask to meet the guys who do the Twitter feed oh, in Walt Disney World, which is really neat. I mean, you can't get that. I mean, let's face it. And not that I don't love every single part of Walt Disney World, but I can't imagine the guys at China doing that. Oh no, 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 no. no. It's no. One, it, but it, it's a great thing. I really, really like it a lot. But that level of you know response to social media. I mean, again, you, you, that's the sort of thing where you, you then develop a relationship with a customer. They come back because hey, the guy came out and he talked to me. Exactly. You know? So we, we were the, we we're here on uh, on Saturday, and Humberto, uh, who's one of the one of the guys who does the the Twitter feed, was leading the tequila thing. And we we know this because we were here one time tweeting out, hey, let's go to La Cava. He again through Twitter invited us. Mm-hmm. In for a, for some free chips and salsa, oh. and so we sat there and planned to meet for three hundred people. But it, it was it was literally because hey, this guy you know, so somebody tweeted out, we tweeted back, he, mm-hmm. you know, over over a tequila and some chips. We said we should we should do meet. But but those guys are, are really doing it. I know Disney's kind of getting into social media, but 
it's still it, it, this is this is it's classic Disney. We're going to get into social media, social media. Let's put an organization behind it with a strict hierarchy and a, and, a, and an entire three ring notebook of rules around it. No, that's it exactly. Uh, that's know, it exactly. Uh, it's All right, so you want to go grab a drink? Sure. Thanks, Jim. Hi. So Jim and I are now walking back out of Mexico. We've just had a. A quick quality check of the wares, the sampling of the wares at uh, Reserva de la, uh, sorry, at uh, La Cava. We had some Reserva de la Familia. It was wonderful. We're staggering now past the, uh, past the, uh, the. Uh, this is where they did the Donald meet and greet, the uh, three caballeros. By the way, I learned by the way yesterday at, Me- at the Mexico meet where we ordered 150 margaritas that my Spanish improves with drinking. <laughs> well. To double back on the pavilion we just left, this is the template for what they're trying to do with all of the the World Showcase pavilions. If you think about it, inside of a five-year period, you freshened up the the uh, Rivers of Time attraction by folding in, you know, the, the uh, characters. Three caballeros, right? Three caballeros. You've created the character meet-and-greet area. You've totally redone your restaurant out front. You've added your tequila bar. You've totally re-energized this. You've created new, you know, not only new venues for the family and new family experiences, but you've also increased, you know, the amount of money you'll make out of your restaurants and get people excited oh, about yeah. coming back in. They've got four, four places now to spend your money on food. So this is this is the template. This is. Do you think it's any coincidence that uh, Mexico is run by an external group rather than Disney, though? Well, in, you know, that is... that. That's what they're looking to do. Was it was this, was this a case though with them where Disney said, "Here's the idea that we have," or maybe they came to Disney and said, "Here's the idea that we have," and Disney let them try it because it was relatively low risk for Disney because they get a cut of that those sales, right? They do, they do. So, so really, if they, if they wanted to try it out, if they wanted to put in a fourth uh, a fourth uh, dining venue and they wanted to bring in you know tequila experts like Hilda, um, they they could do that and it doesn't really risk anything to Disney. No, but but at the same time, you, you look at, um, they're the ones who actually, you know, brought the expertise and, you know, the level of authenticity, the level of personalization. And now it's a question of, well, how do you do that again? Right, what do you mean, do then? You know, I mean, face it, we, we, we've walked now, we're here in Norway, and we're here at the, you know, just outside of the Anchor House, which, of course, is where they do... You know, the princess breakfast, get the story tell, you know, the storybook dining. And you want to talk about shoehorning in something that doesn't fit. Oh, jeez. Yeah, this, so Norway, I love the pavilion. And I've, I've actually been to Norway. I've been to Oslo. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're sitting in front of the, uh, the Norway pavilion right now. To our left is the uh, Stave Church, which I love, by the way. It's one of the iconic things. You've got uh, the Puffins Roost and the uh, Kringla Bakery Og Cafe. You can see sort of the back of the attraction over here. Uh, back of Maelstrom, and then you've got Restaurant Acrestris, which is, uh, it, it's the right architecture. I mean, uh, sort of, you know, rural, uh, old Norway does actually look like this. Uh, interesting thing. So in, in Oslo, there's a, an, uh, a Norwegian architecture museum, but it's not a building. It's a collection of buildings that the Norwegian government has transported from around Norway to this one, like, you know, 500-acre park where you can literally walk in the buildings. They have literally an, an entire apartment block, a block of apartments in there from, you know, this is what Oslo looked like in the 1950s. They preserved it and moved it. There. This is this is representative of Norwegian architecture. Yeah, so, so actually going to Norway, I, I can tell you, it looks kind of like this. 
Yes, but a startling lack of princesses. You know. Yeah, there, I didn't see as many princesses, in, although they were all strikingly beautiful. I mean, oh. the men and women in uh, Norway are, are amazing. Yes. But, uh, yeah, no princesses. And Icarus just, I mean, it could be so much more. Although, again, I will say, my breakfast buffet in mm. Oslo, in the hotel, did actually have herring. Oh. <laughs> I know, right? Mm, that's bracing right there. But, again, it's just going to be interesting to watch the 10-year plan here as they walk around and attempt to do this to all the pavilions. Now, mind you, some of these things are hit and miss. I mean, as we get over to Italy, uh, I was kind of shocked to hear about them shutting down the, the pizza place there for the three or four month redo. You've heard about this? Uh, I heard at the Viennapolis closing, or I, I know um, the uh, the other restaurant, the um, uh, Tutto Italia is closing, I thought. Well, I, my understanding was it was the, the new pizza place that was shutting down for a redo that evidently, and, and you know, startlingly so. Um, we were just there yesterday, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but supposedly there was some issue. Whether I mean, sometimes it's actually a good issue, as in, hey, we need to increase our capacity. We have, you know, so many more people coming. Right. Uh, but it's always a little startling to have a facility that's just been open. You know, suddenly close. Well, the so I know that they don't get a whole lot of use out of the. Um, well, when we get to Italy, we'll talk about it. But uh, they don't get a whole lot of use about um, on the patio seating. I never see anyone out there, and that could be uh, that could be true. We're coming up, by the way, on China guys, and they're uh, the acrobats are actually performing right now. So it's a little uh, it's a little loud outside in China. But uh, is there anything going on with the China Pavilion? The, you know, they just opened the new shopping area. Have you seen it? Not yet, no. Um, but as for China, yes, there's... But, you know, the interesting thing is this is all piggybacking on Shanghai. That, you know, the, that... Uh, I don't know what you've heard about the entrance area, for example, for Shanghai Disneyland, but there's no Main Street. There's no Main Street in Shanghai, China? You know, there's going to be... And, and, and there's no retail corridor. There's no shops. You're going to come into a garden... Is that is that a cultural thing that uh, that the Chinese government wanted to do, or is that a Disney thing? Um, this is Disney trying to be respectful of the Chinese culture. But I'll tell you from chats with folks at Imagineering, they're like, I'm not sure this is going to work. I mean, you know, that, that. but at the same time, realistically, what does turn-of-the-century America mean to, you know, a Chinese national? It's like, okay, interesting set of buildings. And in fact... They had an original uh, take on the Main Street that was fascinating. It was literally taking iconic pieces of uh, Disney architecture uh, from Disney and Pixar films I met at. So, for example, you'd walk down a street where uh, Gastos from uh, Ratatouille is right next to the Darling's house from Peter Pan. Nice. You You build this street of buildings that you recognize from classic Disney animated films leading to uh, the castle. And that was in there. They looked at it. It's out. Now it's a garden. And Really? And again, speaking of things that are out, here we are walking through what would have been Africa. Um, yeah, so we're at the uh, African Opposter now. You, you may have heard the, uh, the drums as we're going through. This, it, it, so they've turned it into a retail area, but this has got to be the largest unused space in World Showcase, I think. No, absolutely. But there's a giant expansion pad back here. And I think it's... If you've ever seen the 1982 television special for the opening of Epcot, it's literally... There's this sad sequence where it's Danny Kaye and Alex Haley, who was the author of Roots, was actually going to narrate the, the film that drove this attraction. 
they're standing there in front of the model, and it's like, well, yeah, if you look at the the Epcot book, mm-hmm. right, the uh, building, you know, tomorrow's whatever. Yep. It's uh, it it's got the whole thing about the Russia Pavilion, the Africa Pavilion, every all the artwork is there. Everything's everything's there. Yeah, and in the end, it's just this little sad moment. Well, you know, Danny shakes hands with Alex. Well, I'll meet you back in here. It's like absolutely, and <laughs> and then and then neither of them live to see it. Well, you know, the only problem, and again, this is where it, it, this was what was problematic about Epcot, that, that, you know, sometimes people came forward, I mean, for example, you mentioned the Russian Pavilion, the, they had sponsors lined up multiple times, but the problem is Disney would, oh, okay, and go poking at who the sponsor was, and eventually they'd figure out the money was coming from the Russian Mafia. And, and, and these days they'd be like, um, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but, Actually, the, the word would be oligarch now, wouldn't it? <laughs> there you go. Uh, and, but in the case of, the, of Af- the African Pavilion, it kept coming back to South Africa. was the only place that came <laughs> forward. Blood diamonds? Yes. That's <laughs> was, it real, was it really? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and it was just one of these notions. Like, uh, it's like, oh, uh, no. Thanks, thanks, but really no. Yeah. And, and it just, it, again, just broke the back of it. They couldn't get couldn't get it made. Um that's funny. Ah, so we're uh, we're here. At, oh, it is actually October, and we're in Germany, Germany for Oktoberfest. Jim, had we not had a very lovely shot of tequila about five minutes ago, I'd be buying you a beer right now. All right. Well, so, I, do you what do you think about the uh, the Germany Pavilion? I kind of like the outside. the The thing I wish about the German Pavilion was that it, it, it needed more depth. So it's got it's got a restaurant. It's got a good restaurant, right? I mean, beer garden's very popular. It's good. It's relatively easy to get into. The shopping is is good as far as shopping goes. It's it's actually you know it seems to be like decent quality stuff. There's just no reason to come here, right? Other than other than you need a place to eat or you really want some some riesling, right? Wine. I, why would you come here? Well, we're actually walking toward what was supposed to make you come here. So we're walking in uh, past uh, through Summerfest. Actually, we're walking towards a a giant mural on a wall. Well, this is an interesting entrance though for a. Uh, for a restaurant gym the, with the archway and everything like that, it almost looks like the entrance to a ride. It, it was the entrance to a ride. We are, in fact, what's sad is if you walk through that wall, in fact, it's it's now used as rehearsal space for high school groups who come here and perform. There is a full-size ride building back there, and it was going to be for the Rhine River ride. You were actually here. The boats were going to come up, you'd board, and then you'd float for five to ten minutes past miniature recreations of the Black Forest and great pieces of German architecture and, you know, I, it was going to be charming, but, you know... Yeah, I mean, really, it's kind of funny because we're, we're, so we're standing in the very very front of the, uh, the building, um, it, it, so it's, the, it's where Summerfest is. They've installed sort of a counter service in the, in the, the front here, um, and then there's some tables, but dear God, it's, it's nothing, it looks nothing more like than the entrance to a ride. I mean, you've got a huge arch here. Uh, with a banner that says "Welcome," uh, and you've got actually you've got the, you've got a pastoral scene. You've got a castle mural. You've got you've got the river itself. <laughs> so it, it looks like the watch this space sort of no, thing. Absolutely, and if you think just look at the space and how easily you drop the queue in. Yeah, and you look. yeah. I mean, you could you could definitely put a put a queue right in here very easily. Supposedly, it would dump out inside, and as you walked out, you would pass. The uh, you know the the, the, the Oktoberfest restaurant and it's like oh I want oh bratwurst I smell bratwurst yeah you know just I need the coleslaw and some hot potato salad you know so um, it just you know it was something that was supposed to happen in fact was it a funding thing they couldn't find a sponsor for it or was it just that they, you know we've got I mean, enough they, boat rides well the, the the interesting thing is 
the structure was there. They built it. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, they've already built a building, right? Yeah, and, and it's sort of like in the case of the Japanese pavilion, where they had built the structure to put the Meet the World show in. I mean, it's still back there. They have this giant show building that no show went into, and, and now it's used for temporary storage. And, and you know, it just the belief was that okay, in year two, three, you know, we'll add this stuff, but not understanding that in year two, three of Epcot's life, 1983, 1984, oh recession. Not only that, but you change out Disney's management. You know, oh well, yeah, nobody, yeah. So that was the uh, that was the beginning of the Eisner era, right? That was the end of the Miller era. So we're walking up now. We're uh, we're leaving Germany. We're walking past the bathrooms on our left and the miniature train set, which I love, by the way. It's adorable. But yeah, so much was going to happen, and just ultimately, you know, just uh, again, Eisner came in, and you have to understand one of the reasons Eisner came in is Disney stock took a severe hit after Epcot opened. Because it was like now suddenly the financial community was actually paying attention to what Epcot's attendance was because this was this $800 million project. $800 million. That's adorable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, and, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the end for uh, that management team. You know, now mind you, Card Walker um, set up Ron Miller and Ron Miller got a lot of stuff going. I mean, whether, you know, from the Disney Channel to... You know, Touchstone. I mean, the first Disney adult films, but just didn't get enough time. So that's amazing. So we're coming up on uh, on Italy right now. We've, we're passing the uh, the gelato and espresso stand. We're coming up on uh, the replica of uh, the St. Mark's Square, the uh, the Basilica, and you've got uh, you've got the uh, the juggler out. Uh, that's very good. So interesting thing. So I was in I was in Italy, Italy um, earlier this year, and I was in uh, Vicenza. So it's halfway between uh, Milan and Venice in the Veneto. Lovely thing, and it, it's actually got a square that I swear to God looks almost exactly like this. Obviously, it's much larger, mm-hmm. but it's got sort of this building. It's got this uh, this campanile, this mm-hmm. bell tower right here, and then it's got uh, it's got shops like this. The only thing that uh, that would be different, um, the real Italy has far more gelato and shoe stores than, uh, than than Epcot does. I mean, really, it's like it's like the entire the entire business of Italy, as far as I could tell, is selling ice cream, uh, shoes, and leather goods. Well, maybe someone at Disney can make a, a nice shoe-shaped ice cream bar. Right? Well, if they, uh, honestly, if they put a shoe, sh- uh, shoe store in here and they sold gelato outside, mm-hmm. it, w- it, w- it would be Italy as far as I'm concerned. Wow. Okay. It was lovely. Well, it was lovely. Yeah. So, what's, um, so anything going on with the Italy Pavilion? Um, not so much, but... I, well, they got the two restaurants around us, so they've got uh, Via Napoli that just opened. We ate, we ate uh, lunch there yesterday. It was, it was fabulous. They are like any other... Um, Restaurant, uh, or excuse me, every any other country in Epcot, they are looking to increase the amount of character interaction in and, Italy, really. And well, they're looking to actually do. Uh, in fact, it's kind of bit them in the butt. They were working with uh, Julie Taymor to do a, um, a live stage version of Pinocchio, and they're actually going to bring those interpretations of the characters here. But Julie kind of went dark. Oh, and then, yeah. and then Julie kind of went to go work on Spider Man, and I think we all know how that ended. So um, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but it, it's it's interesting you've stopped here between America and Italy because you'll notice there's a large chunk of space here. Yeah, there is actually. So between uh, Italy and the United States Pavilion, this actually was going to be out behind the American Pavilion. There were plans based on how well Epcot did during its opening years 
to build, a, a, and I, it just boggles the mind to hear this, a second lagoon. A, so a lagoon, like a figure eight shaped lagoon? Well, no, more to the effect of a large reflecting pool type lagoon. The idea was there would be space back there for upwards of five to six more pavilions. And what they wanted to do was actually drop the Soviet Union at the other end of the reflecting pool. <laughs> so you have, you know, America across from its, you know, and United, you know, it, it, I think it was the Freedom Pool or they were they were discussing something to that effect. Um, That's classic. Yeah, but um, the interesting thing is that that was, of course, before they built, you know, Buena Vista Street uh, or Buena Vista Avenue, whatever they call it out there, and, and more to the point, the Caribbean, in fact. Where the Caribbean Hotel is sitting right now is pretty much where the Soviet Pavilion would have been sitting. Oh my God, that's amazing! You know, but at the same time, I mean, there are huge pieces expansion pads, and you just don't see them because of the ornamentation. I mean, for example, uh, when they were going to do the Swiss Pavilion, it was going to obviously because Switzerland stands between Germany and Italy, it was going to be dropped there with the Matterhorn out behind all of these places to that's give. Terrible. Yeah, um, no, it's. You know, you have to understand that there was a time that Epcot they hoped to have 32 countries in here. Wow! And they've, so they've uh, almost tripled what they uh, what they have now. Well, for opening day, they only had eight. That's you know. right. That's right. All right. Let's depart. Uh, let's depart Italy and head to the often misnamed United States Pavilion. I swear to God, Jim, it's not called the American Adventure. That's the name of the attraction that's on the inside. Mm-hmm. The outside is the United States Pavilion. Okay. Oh, we're good. Good. Um. No, that's it's kind of a fascinating attraction in that they tried and tried and tried to come up with a way to make this work. You know, one version it was a flume ride where you were going by figures, you know, of from American folklore. Well, Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, Paul Bunyan, you Paul know, Bunyan, serious. And but again, with a blaring, you know, this land is your land, this land uh. is my land. You know, and then from there. Um, Finally, after like the third try, and they actually brought in a, a Hollywood filmmaker, you know, as an outside contractor. And I've been trying for upwards of ten years to get the name of the guy who turned in the really lousy version and, of, of American Adventure. Yep. Yeah. And finally, Randy Bright was like, "Well, look, let me try." And he's the one who came up with the show. He's the one who came up with the whole war wagon concept of film helmets and AA figures and all that. And um, it works. I now, mind you. It, you know, because of course they had to get a sponsor. <laughs> okay, so sorry, Jim. I want to pause your uh, pause your for a second. So it's food and wine, right? So you expect to see people walking around with alcohol. This dude just walked by us with a beer in each hand and then a frozen slushy alcoholic drink, cupped it, grabbed in his mouth. He's holding onto it by his teeth. <laughs> I love food and wine, Jim. I love food and wine. Well, that's American ingenuity at its finest. That's what it is, right there. So. That's what made this country great. So. Anyway, again, he comes up with a concept. Um, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> but again, it's only what they could get American Express and Coca-Cola to agree to. A fine company, by the way, American Express. Yes. Um, but, you know, just the whole notion of, okay, we're going to touch on slavery, we're going to touch on World War II. Um, and speaking of which, you know, we're, we're coming up on the Japanese pavilion, and this, they actually had built... The, um, so it's interesting that the United States Pavilion is between Italy and Japan, two countries that we w- fought in World War II. 
<laughs> yeah, we kind of put Morocco there, right? Or in Germany, right? So it's it's German. It's like the Axis, the Axis powers right between the United States. But we're all friends now. That's true. We're all friends, right? You know. Anyway, the the, the it was actually World War Two that that defeated, um, in, in a weird sort of way, the Meet the World attraction coming into Japan. I mean, they built the structure, and but the word began to get out that when the show was installed. Um, you know, for Tokyo Disneyland. And now, mind you, have to send. What's weird about the story is Tokyo Disneyland opens in '83, right? Okay, and so obviously, you know, Meet the World was going to be a Phase Two attraction. It was going to show, you know, open as the park got more popular. But as people began to go over and visit Tokyo Disneyland, and it literally they get to the moment in the story of the history of Japan where World War II is going to occur. So they're in the, sort of the middle part of the 20th century. And there's just, the theater goes black. There's a thunderous crash. And basically the narration says, and then something bad happened. <laughs> and then it's almost like dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and then, but we, you know, we learned from those times and we became the nation we are now. And it was like, it's like, wait a minute. In the, the state that is filled with World War II retirees, yeah. you're going to put in an attraction... That goes dot, 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 and then something bad happens. <laughs> and it was like, that's it. No no sale. I mean, it was just like, no, we can't do that. And um, and Disney then couldn't go to its you know its partners at Oriental Land Company and go, oh, by the way, we're going to change the attraction that you spent all that money on and put it in a World War II scene. That would have been offensive to them. So, so here we are. Wow, that's amazing. So, uh, so what we got though from a Japan pavilion actually is pretty spectacular. It's one of the best, I think, executed um, pavilions for one without a ride. So this is, I think, if you contrast uh, what Japan has with what Germany has, neither pavilion has a ride. I think Japan is much more interesting. Number one, it's got a huge retail space. The the former Mitsukoshi um, department store yep. here um, on the the ground floor. Up above, you've got two different restaurants. You've got Tokyo Dining and the uh, and the Grill. But farther back, though, they've, they've used the space farther back now. They've got a sort of a food retail mm-hmm. thing where you can do sake samples. And then to the right, they do they always do some sort of Japanese art. It could be, uh, you know, cartoons or animation. Uh, one time it was tin toys, sports. And now it's, it's been a while, for a couple of years now, it's been uh, spirited animals. But it's, it's an interesting display no, because absolutely. it's a nice little walkthrough, too. But at the same time, you look, literally, you see this gateway. This was how you were supposed to enter. You go through these double doors, and in fact, you can actually see the giant so, set of doors that were going to be meet. Oh, yeah, so we're, so we're actually walking uh, farther into the Japan Pavilion. We're coming up on the, um, uh, if you guys are familiar with it, you walk towards the back, and there's this, uh, this nice little bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a sort of covered arch, and you walk through the arch. And I think there's what, there's a horse... A horseman, a samurai on horse, mm-hmm. on one side, but then it's, and it's a huge set of, uh, you know, very formal, very heavy-looking uh, double doors, like a, you know, eight inches thick, mm-hmm. each, and then that leads to the bridge, and then that leads to the back part. It's it's set up like a like a courtyard, like an imperial courtyard. Absolutely, but at the same time, it was you driving you in, and again, you literally, that's where just meet the world right there. That's where the sign was supposed to be, and you just wow, that's impressive. Yeah, this is a this is a great entrance. So you walk past you walk past the entrance arch, and there's this moat on a castle, and you've got these huge rocks going up, you know, three or four stories to this curved uh, sort of uh, Asian art, uh, curved arch roof roof line. 
you've got uh, you've got the I mean it is like it's like entering a castle. This is fantastic. Notice that the color scheme is very consistent. So you've got the grays, and you've got the dark woods uh, going in. It's it's, it's really a, a well conceived attraction. But again, it's just that you have this dramatic entrance to nothing. I'm mean, not talking well, about gallery it, space. Yeah, you've got gallery space. You've got everything. But again, yeah, but this, this, this could have been a ride. You know. But the funny thing is that again, Eisner comes on board. He walks around Epcot. It's like, look, we need thrill rides. And one of the things they were looking at is like, well, and it has no mountains. So there was one weird moment where they were not only talking about building, you know, bringing the Matterhorn, which, by the way, the Matterhorn, they tried to bring the Matterhorn to, to, to Florida multiple times. In fact, it was... It is the world's first tubular steel roller coaster. But, I hear, anyway. It's a rumor going around. <laughs> but um, Nunes actually wanted to build it in the back of Fantasyland. In fact, what he wanted to do was that um, the train would go through the Matterhorn, and as you, the train was rolling through, they'd do a snow scene, and you would literally get the blast of nice, cold. Nice, nice, nice. Um, but here, you know, so they had the model, and so they, 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 they drop it in behind um, Italy and Germany, mm-hmm. and it's just sort of like, okay, it could work there. But here, they were thinking, well, wait a minute, why don't we do uh, Japan, bullet train? What's bullet train, Mount Fuji. Mount Fuji. But Tokyo, course, 1955. Okay, but here's where it gets interesting. So, yeah, why couldn't they, they make... They totally do a bullet train. Well, here's the problem. You start by being Mount Fuji when the film company that you have to deal with for the entire theme park is Kodak. Oh, uh, okay. Fuji film? Yeah. Uh, so so, they, so the, the Kodak guys got wind of this and said, uh, can we have a call? Can we have a phone call on this? So now the project gets named Fire Mountain. All right. Cause Fire. Sounds like Adventureland. Okay. <laughs> But, you know, but again, this is Eisner walking in the door. This is the Hollywood guy. And it's like, you know, it needs something in there. And I swear to God, I mean, this sounds so unlikely, but I have talked to the Imagineers, and they actually showed me the drawing. The bullet train was going to bring you three times in the co- over the course of the ride in close proximity with Godzilla. Oh, no. There goes Tokyo. <laughs> no, that's the idea, that you were supposed to race. You know, you're on the bullet train. You're looking at the countryside. You're going through Tokyo Harbor. Through, uh, don't ask me how this was actually supposed to work. But you're looking out through a clear acrylic tube, and Godzilla rises up in Tokyo Harbor. You're like, oh, you, we must race to the station to get you off. But every time you're almost going to come into the station, like a giant foot comes through the ceiling. or you know, And, and literally, the last effect in it, was they were going to have a loop, which it seems to me counterintuitive because you're running out of energy at the end of a roller coaster. Right. But you looped over Godzilla's head and through his mouth. And then you went into like, the... Like flood. as the mouth was closing? Well, just... No, I think he's, he was... Oh, he's eating you. He's supposed to be eating you. Ah. So again, if, if that was the concept, I totally would, would, would not have got it the first time I, uh, you know, I wrote it. But you know, again, it was one of these things where they went to Toho and Toho said, that's very nice. And we would like this much money, and Disney said, eh, we don't really like it that much. Toho being the guys that own the rights to, uh, to Godzilla. There you, go. there you go. So so again, proposed, not built. That's uh, amazing. So the Godzilla thing would have been interesting. And the funny thing is, is it probably would have looped back now, because you know, a, there was a mini Godzilla revival five years ago, right? But who knows what it could have done with, the, uh, with, Disney's, uh, with Disney's backing on it. Well, more to the point, there's another Godzilla movie coming in, like, weeks. Or I... Is there really another Godzilla movie? Yep. yep. Really? So we're uh, we're walking up on um, we're walking up on Morocco right now. Past and again, this is this is food and wine, and it's more importantly, it's food and wine in the afternoon, uh, past quitting time, when uh, more locals are out. We've got uh, quite a quite a crowd coming up on Morocco. Morocco, Jim, actually, I think is my favorite pavilion in all of World Showcase. I love I love the design and I love the architecture. Now, I was young the first time I came here. Did there used to be a film here? 
No. No. No film? I was just imagining. You know, I mean, they had... Um, a tourism video something? Yes. They, they. I mean, literally, there was one of the shops that sort of had a, a magic mirror. That's it. That's yeah. what I remember, yeah. Um, Let's walk through the Morocco Pavilion. Well, I, I mean, it, it honestly has some of their very best theming. I mean, so it's, it's the thing that I like about it is is it's the the paths aren't linear, right? So it kind of curves around, mm-hmm. um, but there are, and there are multiple ways to get there. It's it's almost like a mm-hmm. a Moroccan market. No, the, by the way, the uh, no one ever goes in. Uh, so we're, we're we're facing the pavilion. Yep. Um, you've got the uh, sort of the archway, the blue archway, in front of us. To our left is a is a display on Moroccan style. So it's personal artifacts from Morocco. I swear to God, nobody ever goes in it. We're we're, we're standing here right now. No one is uh, is opening the doors. It's, it's air conditioned. It's quiet. I guarantee you, Jim, we go in. There's two people or less now. Let's go try it out. Okay. So we're going through the Morocco Pavilion. One of the interesting things about the Morocco Pavilion is that, uh, if I understand correctly, didn't didn't the king send over like his personal Absolutely. his personal artists to work on this? But so we're in the space, and there's exactly two people <laughs> besides Jim. But it's totally funded by the the royal family. You know, it, it's it, a wonderful space, by the way. It's really nice. So the thing I love about this is, so we're inside the uh, we're inside the Morocco. By the way, now Jim and I are the only people in the Morocco Pavilion. But look at the intricate uh, uh, tile work or the uh, the stucco on the walls. This isn't just a flat wall. Mm-hmm. There's uh, all sorts of geometric patterns in in the walls, and each one of these are done by hand. This is not this is not you know hey we're going to stamp this out in a factory in China and we're going to go do this. Yeah. This is all done by hand. It's amazing. Yeah, the tile work, but even look at the ceiling. The ceiling is the same way. Literally, it's floor to ceiling. Nothing but detail. The intricate artwork on the uh, on the wood. That uh, they keep you on the sides. It's uh, it's really nice. All of the tile work. I mean, years and years and years of craftsmanship went into this. It's, you smell the leather. You smell the. You smell the. Le- that's right. It's so you got the. It's it's cool in here. It's dark. It's quiet. It's um it's incredibly detailed. We're entering what, what might be actually my entire favorite space in all of Epcot. So you go through the back door of the uh, of the Moroccan style display and you enter into this fabulous courtyard. And it's a two-story courtyard, and there's a fountain in the back. It's two stories. You look up, up top, and it's it's incredibly detailed. Again, all tile on the bottom, tiled uh, columns. It's got uh, four columns on each side. It's just a beautiful space. There's a. It's open at the top. It's a square. On the bottom floor is uh, nothing but tiled walls, blues, yellows, reds, greens. On the second floor is uh, sort of a whitewashed, a white stucco with um, with brown. Uh, wood balusters all, all around, and then these uh, incredibly, these very pretty um, lamps in shades of yellow, uh, green, and red, and it's it's uh, opened up to a, a beautiful blue, blue sky. And the thing I love about this is um, it's a great place to sit and and relax. Very few people ever come in here. Anybody who, who very few people actually make it this far back in the pavilion. Number one, Jim. Number two, it's got little benches set up for uh, for for just sitting and relaxing, and, and you notice it's all in the shade too. Um, and then you've got the fountain over here, so you've got a little bit of, of noise. I think this is this is my favorite space in all of Epcot. Yeah, and the sad thing is, the time this most often got used. Do you remember when Hulk Hogan and Chris Lemon were shooting that action series here? This was they did that on uh, Seven Seas Lagoon. And Bailey. Well, but but you know you remember they fought terrorists, and they would <laughs> literally. I mean, this this became the unnamed Arab country. In countless, Morocco did? Yes, in countless episodes. So they would stage all sorts of... And here, this, this tranquil, wonderfully detailed courtyard would be full of, you know, get a little, get a, the, the, the squibs and, you know, the, you know, the fake machine guns so Hulk and Chris Lemon could defeat the evil. You know, I mean... But yeah, this, this, that was in the day 
when you know they were using Epcot basically as their backdrop for the as their, these, their foreign sets. Yeah, I mean, you know, traveling the world. So, so, the, so now we're in the very back of the uh, of the courtyard. We've got uh, there's again there's another fountain in the distance. We've got uh, Restaurant Marrakesh here. Have you been in Restaurant Marrakesh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorite restaurants, and it, it never gets it's never crowded. By the way, do you see the uh, you see how they're doing uh, water runoff here on the walls? So the water comes up from the ceiling and then it runs down. Instead of pouring off, it comes down here and then ends up circulating here. It's, it's a very nice way of doing it. Yeah, yeah I, love, uh, I love Morocco. No, you have to, if you're going to make it back to Marrakesh, you have to do the tea ceremony here. Have you ever done that? No, I've never done this. Oh. Tea ceremony. What time is it? What time do they do it? Um, I, actually, I, I, I'd say, again, I did this like five or six years ago. I'm not sure what the times are today. But it is such an elaborate presentation. I mean, it's, it's at the restaurant. At the restaurant. Restaurant and, Marrakesh. A tea ceremony. Know, a tea ceremony. And it's, they do this this hot mint tea that you, it's so, it's so counterintuitive. You would think. You're in Florida. This shouldn't be refreshing. And it's just, mint, but it's mint. It's mint, and it's just—it's oh, got to be cooling. Yeah. No, no, no. Seriously, if you can, make sure to get there for the tea ceremony. It's just—it's amazing. Is it part of a meal, or you just uh, just show up? Well, they get a, that's the weirdest part is that they get so little attention back there. It's, it's true. Like, you know, it's like, hi, we're here for the tea ceremony. Oh, okay. So it's funny because Morocco is number number one. Morocco is my the the restaurant where I take people who. Um, don't aren't, aren't sure whether they're going to like ethnic food. Number one, because you can always get in last minute. Number two, <laughs> literally every single person I've ever taken here has been surprised about about how good it is. And there's really nothing wrong with the menu. No, no, no. It's, and, and, and more to the point, this was this was actually the first pavilion that was built after Epcot opened. Right. I mean, I, obviously, China opened somewhat late, and you know there were individual films and that sort of thing. But this was, you know, this sort of gave you the sense of. What they could do if they had full support and full money from a, from a government sized entity. Yeah, and have you ever been to Tangerine Cafe by the way? No, can't say. Oh, it's fabulous! So they've a shawarma, so they've got lamb and chicken and beef and stuff. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, actually, it's one of my. We ate here uh, for our pre uh, half marathon lunch. It was great. But you know, the saddest part of this story is that there are so many people who will use the bathrooms next to Morocco, but will not go into Morocco. <sighs> You know, the bathrooms are pretty popular, but uh, yeah, it's amazing because it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful church. Hey, between here and France, there's actually enough space for a small pavilion, like a Luxembourg, not not a pavilion, but the actual country itself. Actually, what's fascinating, if you ever manage to get backstage, literally, you mean legally? Yes. All right, between France and Morocco, every single one of the food things that were the, the little individual food carts that we're walking by here, the Portugal, yep, whatever. They, that's where they live the rest of the oh, year. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, they, uh, they walk us back there for the, before the marathon and the half marathon. Mm-hmm. So it's funny because you can actually, you know, you're walking back there. It's like 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. They're walking you back to the race start for the half marathon. So you're going behind stage, backstage at, uh, at Epcot. And you're walking past the food and wine booths, but they're just shuttered. They're all there. And, you know, you can see the names on them. So you can see, you know, Belgium and, you know, and, um, and, and Canada and stuff like that. But there's nothing there. It's really, it's really weird. It is, it is. But it's just at the same time. I mean, again, I'm just I, a fan of how the machine that is a theme park works. Yep. And that's where they store them. They store them. They don't store them in a warehouse. They store them outside. Yep. And, and I think they just touch up the paint every year. No, that's it. That's it exactly. Just, just dress them up, set them out. They're there for the six six weeks, and they sit and wait for the next season of shows. So. Sure. So we're uh, we're walking away to France right now. So we're packing, passing back the crepes uh, stand, and then there's a champagne stand. To our left is, uh, is this uh, Chef de France, uh, which is amazingly popular. 
you'd think French food would not be that popular. The, uh, the thing that, that I like about France, it's, uh, it, it feels like France, right? So you, there's little alleyways and stuff that you walk through. The thing that amazes me about, about the attraction, well, two things really. One is the film hasn't changed. Yeah. Number two, if you're looking at the pavilion, so we're facing the Eiffel Tower, the uh, Chefs de France is to our left. Uh, we've got fountains in front of us. We've got the film straight ahead. There's a pretty big distance between us where we're at and the right. It's a, it's a garden, and then there's a huge space back over here that really isn't used for anything. If you go past the Parfumerie, there's really nothing over there. And you wonder, like, was that... Hey, let's walk this way. We'll walk and talk. So we're walking up the, uh, the, the street. We've got... Again, we're walking... Uh, Chefs is on our left. Um, Impressions de France Theater is in front of us. We've got the perfume place to our right. But Jim, I want to show you this over here. I, 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 this is where I think they should have moved the patisserie over here and put the parfumerie over there. And I don't know why they did it. Because if you walk through here, right? if you walk through the, the Beaux Arts Gallery and uh, the library, there's a, there's a lovely little arcade right here. right? And it's sort of like a French arcade, right? Yep. Like they have in Disneyland Paris. But you walk through this side. And we're walking through it now. It smells really good, actually. So after a day of walking around in front of a smelly tourist to walk through the perfume place in France, by the way, is a huge, huge relief, I must say. So we come out on the, on the quai, and there's nothing here. Okay, they're getting ready to do a, an Aurora meet and greet or something, but, but there's really nothing. I mean, this is a beautiful space. You've got flowers everywhere. You've got, um, you've got the, the river and the... the, the the lake in the background. You've got this, essentially a Paris behind you. Look, there's like six people here. Well, this, this to me is like, this is a completely unused space. Okay. There was at one time a plan for a crazy cab through the streets of Paris ride. I mean, a kind of a Mr. Toad's wild ride. Uh, <laughs> the wild ride to Mr. Toad? Yeah, you know, they, 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 you know as opposed to... <laughs> the, the wild ride to Monster Toad. Sorry, there we go. There you, go. <laughs> you know, as opposed to... The, 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 and it, and I'm not doing the frog leg jokes. Um, the, 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 wait, it, it actually be... Sorry, sorry I'm doing th- iterations of this joke. It's the ride wild to Monster Toad. Go there ahead. we go. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, they just recognize... In fact, that that's... I remember um, uh, talking with uh, Gary Goddard about this, and they were... You know, after a while, it was like they were doing every pavilion, and it's like you've got to be kidding me! It's another movie. You know, we need rides. We need rides. Yeah. And so they wanted to do. You know, just figure it'll be fun. We'll just do so a silly version of Paris, and the the car will rock back and forth, and you know. And in the end, you know, they they did the proposal. They had the artwork. They just couldn't find a sponsor. And, and more to the point, a lot of the people they approached, you know, not, you know, uh, you know. Like the car companies, so let's go to Peugeot, and it's like you know, it's like you know, they were offended, you know, Saab, you know, they, they, everybody they, they went to, um, and really, that's funny because I've, I've seen the theme park uh, attractions that Peugeot sponsors, mm-hmm. they could do better. <laughs> so they've actually got this, uh, they've actually got this ride in Alton Towers. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's Peugeot Mini Drivers or something, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. but it's the it's the, the lowest capacity theme park attraction I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. It, there's no way it can get 60 people per hour, six zero people per hour through. If you could go out and give people massages faster than that, oh yeah. yeah. So Peugeot could have done better. So I think they said no to the wrong company here. Mm-hmm. But again, the, where so many of these Epcot pavilions were supposed to have a phase two. I mean, for example, we're going to be crossing the bridge shortly, and yeah, we're going over this. Then this bridge is this the one that was inspired by the Pontazar? That's it. Okay. Um, but. For England alone, there was the English Music Hall. 
There was the the uh, the River Thames attraction. There was even the, the Christmas Carol ride through. All of them designed. Go keep talking. You know, I mean, that one literally. You, you were going to go buy show scenes out of Christmas Carol, whether it was the ghost of Christmas. Uh, oh, just think, just think of the souvenirs. And actually, Germany has a little bit of a, a Christmas place, but uh, but oh, they totally could have done that. Wasn't the postcard invented in Great? Uh, the uh, Christmas card was invented in Great, Great Britain. I do believe so. I do believe so. But in the end, um, it opened. Epcot did okay, but not the sort of attendance, lo- you know, levels that Disney had promised. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for that iteration of the Disney Company's management team. Oh, I mean, that's sad. that was when, you know, the green mailers make begin. Oh, uh, right, right. That's yep. the beginning of the end and the entrance of Eisenhower. So the, here's the funny thing, Jim. So we just walked through, uh, you know, German sausage. We walked through uh, pasta in Italy. We walked through... Um, uh, baklava and coffee in Morocco. We just walked through wine in France. Now they make you walk up a steep bridge. <laughs> this is this is really your your car. Are you dead yet? Well, you know that was that was always the story about Alfredo's. That oh, yeah, oh in Italy. Yeah, I mean. There, there, oh, there, so yeah, so fettuccine Alfredo is like twenty seven or twenty eight hundred calories, right? Most of it bad fat. You know, and, and, and literally people go in and eat the, the giant bowl of you know fettuccine carbonara and start to walk around the world show because. <laughs> And literally, they'd make it. In fact, my understanding is, they literally begin to put the um, the tribulators, you know, just sort of like <laughs> either side, either side of Italy. Yeah, it's like okay, so you know, they they typically make it as far as Japan, you know. And, and so we're going to put the de- so if we need to run an electrical lens for the defibrillators, it's going to be Japan. That's awesome. That's beautiful. All right, so we're going to walk through the English Garden here. You know, Jim. As far as I'm concerned, nothing says wa- a walk through the uh, a, a trip to the English countryside except for meeting a man named Trevor. Hello, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doctor Who? Uh, actually, Timekeeper, but, uh, but okay, good, good one. There we go. Um, <laughs> so we're walking through the back of the uh, the UK pavilion right now, which has like... I mean, England, I think, is an old country. It's what, three, four, five hundred years old? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Don't, don't want to get any letters. But it's got uh, examples of every piece of, uh, of English architecture here. It's also got a, a nice little hedge maze. Which, uh, which is pretty popular in, in English amusement parks, by the way. And the, the back space here is, is lovely. Number one, it's quiet. There's only like three people here. Uh, number two, it's shaded. And they've got benches. But here, right in front of us, in fact, you can see a little bit of the International Village. Yeah, so, we're, uh, so we're actually walking towards the back of the UK. We're facing out towards the landscape. And behind us is what used to be the Millennium Village. Remember back in 2000, there was a, uh, there was a big... Uh, Epcot was, the, was the, the host park. For the Millennium Celebration, we're looking back towards the structure that hosted the Millennium Village stuff. That was, by the way, uh, if ever there was something that was designed while people were on drugs, Millennium Village. Absolutely. Do you remember? Do you remember the Israel ride? Oh. So it was a ride through biblical times, and I swear to God, so this is this is actually the first conversation you and I ever had, where I knew that we we would like each other. Jim and I are are, are, are talking about the Millennium Village ride, and we're recounting our experience going through the Israel. Uh, ride. So you, you got on board a ride, and it was like a motion simulator, but it, it didn't have a roof. So you were looking at a film projection, and you met—was it Moses? You, oh yeah. You met Moses, mm-hmm. and he was taking you through history, and and I was telling Jim this, and we both said at almost exactly the same time, like literally thirty seconds into the film, didn't you think you were in a Mel Brooks film? Like you, <laughs> at any minute, you were waiting for the ten thousand year old man to to come out, right? I'm 30, second, 30 seconds into this thinking, this is either incredibly bad or it's going to be the best Mel Brooks thing ever. And Mel never showed. And he never showed. I'm yeah. like, oh, that sucks. So. It could, but literally, if he would have showed up at the end, it would have been 
it would have been brilliant parody. Speaking of Mel, and we'll get to this at some point at the studio, but remind me to talk to you at some point about Hotel Mel, where literally he was going, they, the Tower of Terror was going to be basically in celebration of Young Frankenstein. Um, actually, I got, I got um, uh, Craig McNair Wilson, who you know, worked with Mel on this thing, said it was the greatest gig in the world. We were never going to make the attraction, but Mel would come over every Friday to the Disney studio, and we worked for like a half hour, and then he'd go on the patio with the Disney you know, the, uh, the studio commissary, and he would proceed to tell his show business stories. It was the greatest time of my life. You know? Just great, great, great stories. So. All right. Oh, we're coming up on a World Showcase players here. I think we're going to have to walk around them to, uh, to get to the UK. Okay. But there's your first iteration of Streetmosphere. Um, That's right, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah let's walk yeah. through the sports shop here. Yeah, the SAC Theater created these. was so successful. In fact, again, that's... Craig McNair Wilson, who worked with them and helped develop these shows, and he in turn went off to do all of the street and sphere for Disney Hollywood Studios, or uh, then Disney MGM. Yeah, the, the street and sphere characters are actually very, very good. I like them. I like them quite a bit. So they're also using this. Uh, they're also using this store as uh, as part of Kim Possible, right? Because there's so one of the interesting things about Kim Possible is you can actually go in the stores and and do interactions. Yeah, I mean that's that that's actually one of the things I love about that game, and in fact, it makes me a little concerned about trying to sort of retrofit that sort of next gen adventure into uh, the parks. I mean, for example, they they play tested and prototyped a National Treasures version for not the studios, mind you, but for the Magic Kingdom. Oh, it totally would have worked in the Magic Kingdom. Well, it was it was around Liberty Square, it was around Frontierland, and. But in the end, it was just sort of like, um, this was kind of when Nicolas Cage was spinning in, uh. and the worry was, I don't think we're doing National Treasure 3 now, though uh, Bruckheimer insists they are, so, I mean, it, it's... It's a good franchise. I mean, the first movie was great. Yep. But it's, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things, well, how many American conspiracies can we get into? Yeah, that's the thing. It, start, it starts to look like a, was it Dan Brown, the... Oh, you, you, know, you, you read the you read the first uh, what was the first one? Uh, da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code. Yeah, first one you can cut it. The second one you're like, oh, okay, I, I get the picture, right? You don't need to go on for 500 pages. On it. <laughs> and did you have a third one? He's a third one too, right? Yeah, yeah. That that's in fact, isn't that Eve? Isn't that supposed to be coming? Uh, I don't, I don't, I've read you know I've, I've read two. I think I've, I literally have read them all. All I know is that both Tom Hanks and Ron Howard are like, you know, we're good. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're good. You know what? It was a, it was a magical time in my life. <laughs> Uh, I will always remember our <laughs> collaboration fondly. Thank you. Good night. So, that's funny. Oh, we're coming up on Canada right now. Yeah. I do love a Canada. Oh, I've been in Canada many times. I just went to Vancouver this summer. It was a lot of fun. Oh, Van- people in Va- what do they call people in Vancouver? Vancouverans? Lucky. Lucky. <laughs> so Vancouver, the people in Vancouver have to be the luckiest in the, in the world. Number one, they've got the mountains. Number two, they've got the ocean. Number three, they've got free health care. And, they have- and they've got Martin Short, actually. Wait, wait, did you see Martin Short do the cameo on How I Met Your Mother? No. Uh, he's, uh, he's doing How I Met Your Mother now. It's, it's oh, hysterical. Cool. It's nice. Good for him. All right, you want to walk up? Sure. So we're walking up the, uh, the Canada Pavilion right now. Maple syrup to your left. The funny thing is, is, uh, oh, is the circle vision closed? Oh, it looks like it's closed. Oh, and to right near the side. So they're doing, are they doing, are they doing yep. construction here? Yep. I'm Jim, what you, did this something used to be in this building? <laughs> Oh, okay. So, sorry, guys. Sorry. So, uh, so I neglected to mention. So, the uh, the hotel facade is completely wrapped right now in um, in some sort of like construction wrapper. 
So it's the picture of the facade, but you can't actually see the building itself. And behind it is more uh, construction stuff. Looks like they're doing something on the inside. Restaurant space? Uh, they wouldn't put up a wrapper that big unless there was something going on. No, no, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. But but again, remember what we were talking about in regard to what was going over at Mexico. That, that this is, you know, sort of take an individual element, buff it out. Um, you know, they have just, well, not just, we're talking two, three years now for the Martin Short thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they've redone that. They're looking to do... Um, some new entertainment offerings. But at the same time, it was what we were talking about earlier, that, that I, I'm always fascinated by these wraps that they throw around the buildings because it's it's actually a guest recovery thing. that They found that people complained l- less about their photographs being ruined by construction. Oh, right. If they just threw up a blue tarp, people would freak out. Yeah, but now to have something like this, which means that it, it's an approximation of what the building looked like, it means your shot still sort of kind of works. Yeah, if you're not looking really closely. If you're looking at the people in the picture and not the buildings, it, no, it kind of makes absolutely, sense. Absolutely, absolutely. So what, what do you think is going here? So, so uh, by the way, so we're looking at the uh, the back of the pavilion. To our right is, sorry, to our left is the retail space with the giant totem poles in front of it. But then the, the main building itself... Again, a huge wrapper. If they were just painting that, well, they, I guess they could be just painting it, but that seems like an awful lot of detail just to paint. You know, to be honest, I haven't heard anything about this, but I will go dig and find out. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and I'll just mention this, there is no counter-service restaurant in Canada. That's... And it's extremely difficult to get into La Celia because now it's a... So it's, the, it's, it's a two-table-service credit signature, Disney signature restaurant. No table service. If I had to go out on a limb here, I'd say that's either retail or it's uh, or it's dining because they've got neither. Now we do have, you know, I'm looking at both stairs and a ramp, so it's ADA accessible. Um, and there's nothing there. I mean, and there's actually nothing back there either. So on either side of the building, so you've got some of these sort of like Newfoundland type uh, stone cottages to the left of the path, and to the right again, you've got the huge, but this is, the huge this, building. You could put a kitchen there. But isn't this the the queue for? Uh, Oh, Canada. No, yeah. no, the queue's, the queue's farther back. Right? Okay. Remember, you go up the stairs. Well, that's what I'm saying. And then you go past the waterfall, and then you right. go down the stairs, and then you go to the left. Well, but this is still the feeder line for that, though, right? So it's got a... Um, uh, the feeder line, it goes, it goes... Well, number one, when was the last time there was a line that long for uh, Canada? All right. Never mind. Number number two, uh, even if there was the line, they've got... Remember, inside O Canada, uh, they've got that huge lobby... Mm. Um, to hold some people, then you could back out all the way. If you wanted to run the queue, you could run the queue towards the waterfalls. Absolutely. And leave okay. this just for for a restaurant Got space. It. No, you're right. You're right. So, oh, all right. That, that we'll meet back here at the next podcast. Yeah, we'll meet. Yeah. So maybe yeah, maybe six from six months from now, we'll uh, we'll redo this one. Let's uh, let's walk past Lasalle and see what's going on. Have you have you been here since it's been the uh, the two table service credit? No, I have not. But again, it, you know, that I I know about the dangers of eating cheese soup in Florida. Yeah, it's lovely. I told you the story about me and cheese soup, right? No. So um, so I Pam Brandon writes the Disney uh, cookbooks mm-hmm. for Disney. She's one of the authors yeah. of the. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. Of the Disney cookbooks, so I, and she's lovely. I, yep. So I contacted Pam, mm-hmm. and I said, "Hey, I love the cheddar cheese soup at Canada. Can you send me the recipe?" Mm. So she sends me the recipe, and now I'm a I'm a guy, yep. right? The idea of proportion mm-hmm. in uh, in dining doesn't do me any good. I should have been suspicious when the first ingredient, uh, first item ingredient on the list was a pound of bacon. I wanted a cup of soup, Jim. She made me two gallons. <laughs> Of soup, so but you know once you start making once once oh, you start making it no, right. God. So I, I made two gallons of cheddar cheese soup. So it's bacon, onion, cream, and it's, it's like four pounds of cheese, mm-hmm. right? Like a gallon of heavy cream, 
uh, like two chopped onions and a pound of bacon plus the bacon fat. And that's all I ate for a week. At the end of it, I smelled like onion and bacon. It was just exuding from my pores, but I was so happy. <laughs> More to the point that it says something about your health regime that you, your heart valves did not close that, 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 that I didn't seize that I didn't seize up so we're, we're looking over the uh, Bouchard Gardens uh, the gardens thing you get the little uh, building in the back that's actually the, sort of the cast member stuff for the mm-hmm. pavilion we're looking back towards the Rocky Mountains it really is a lovely pavilion it's one of the most scenic well, I think what's, pavilions what's interesting is that you know it, it, in fact we're working at another Waithel Rogers was the guy who did a lot of the mountain sculpting for Disney. Yep. And it's just, it's interesting to watch how he worked. And, you know, I mean, he did Big Thunder. He did, um, and if you compare the work that was done here with, say, the work that was done on Expedition Everest. Right. Clearly, you know, there's a, there's a level of sophistication, you know. To, to, to building fake rocks. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I doubt I, I mean, if you look at, if you think about how. Expedition Everest looks as compared to the, the rocks that we're looking at here. So the, the Expedition Everest mountainside is much more weathered and oh. pointy. Mm-hmm. Here the rocks are much more angular. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, they're, you know, the edges are rounded, so it's you know it's gone through some weathering, but it's uh, it's they're much more chunky, I would say. Yeah, and it's but again, it, the, the interesting thing is when you're down in among it, when you're walking along the stream, you buy this from a distance. Oh, totally. Yeah, you could be in a canyon somewhere in the in the Rockies. Again, it doesn't quite buy you can't buy off on it quite as well where on the other hand expedition everest works from from a lot of different angles yeah. i mean you know they, when you're going through yeah from part, the bridge in africa oh yeah from the bridge coming in from dino land it all it all just works it's yeah. true um i don't know it, it's that's why you know you know i of all people i'm going to be fascinated to see how they pull out pandora you know just the whole notion of uh, that's a huge that's a huge engineering and design problem that'll be interesting i did get somebody though to confirm that this may be the place where and they i guess they're doing the daytime test to see if they can pull it off but have you seen the uh the magic the memories and me show on that's projected on the castle oh yeah it's fabulous i think it's better in uh, walt disney world than in disneyland well i and in fact i was watching it from the uh the bridge into Fantasyland uh near tomorrowland mm-hmm. you've got a much bigger peak chunk of the castle oh it's it's, it's a better canvas yeah yeah yeah, because they do it on uh, they do it on the small world facade, which is pretty big actually mm-hmm. in Disneyland, but it's not the same sort of scope as okay. the castle. But supposedly the projection effect that they do for the castle is how they're going to do literally the moon of Pandora. That you know, really, oh, the shimmering. You're going to. It's see... a great effect. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. For those of you that are listening that haven't seen uh, Magic Memories and you, a couple of things: one, go out on YouTube and look for the uh, the show. But number two, look for the uh, the similar kinds of effects. Um, the first time I saw it was in Europe, actually, oh. back uh, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. They had taken a, a house for Christmas and had done a ghost projection. Uh, sorry, Halloween, not Christmas. Had done a, a ghost projection on the... Uh, so they made the actual the, the house turn from a regular house to a ghost house. So the, the house became a ghost. Oh. And it turned turned from you know brown to white, and then it shimmered and stuff. It was amazing. Okay. Now, speaking so of they're going to do that with Pandora. That's yep. interesting. And in fact, to sort of bring this full circle to do the... Uh, back to who we t- started talking about today, John Hench. Yep. Uh, John had this idea... I mean, the interesting thing is Disney attractions have to be... You know, you have to have so many people go through them an hour. You have to, you know, that they have to be... Uh, you know, they have to be able to operate, you know, seven days a week. Yeah. And John proposes, look, what if we went the other way? What if, you know, for example, we had... Um, a vacant lot on Main Street, and 
and then you know it's it's the sun goes down and fog rises up and then uh, you know you look back on the lot and there's a house there that wasn't there before <laughs> nice and you know just literally you enter the attraction through that it's just the whole notion of doing attractions after dark doing special shows and in fact they did a full presentation uh, they did a mock-up of Pirates of the Caribbean um, well you know the interesting thing is in the Pirates of the Caribbean building the boats are actually kept inside the building but they're mm-hmm. in a track that's just behind the facade yep which means there's an entire loop that people don't go on. And so the idea was that when the sun went down, the attraction would close for about a half hour. They'd reset. So literally, you now would float through these new scenes. And now you would just do these projected light effects where, you know, you'd, you'd have your pirates, but now they'd, you'd project desiccated faces on them. And you'd then also send people through the back section and have whole, entirely new show scenes. Nice. Nice. But, Great but again, idea. that's that's... This is... You know, the, the problem is, again, you've got to get thousands of people through an hour, and more to the point, people get disappointed if they can't get on their favorite attractions. Right. So, yeah, you can't limit it to 500 people a night or something no, like that. absolutely. Uh, so, that's a shame. Uh, this is wonderful. All right, well, any uh, any final words on uh, Epcot, Jim? I think we, we should definitely revisit this in uh, in six months or so. Oh, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. No, Epcot is, is, you know, it's an ambitious park that, you know, in the end, when you look at the craft of it, I mean, yes, you know, Future World is a little too corporate, and... Yes, you know, there aren't enough countries, but when you think about how many people come here, and particularly this time of night, when they're right, filtering in... After work on a random Monday. Yeah, I mean, you know, all the locals that turn out, or how many of the other parks, you know, dump, you know, out of... I mean, think about it. You know, Animal King was closing at 5 today. Yep. All the people who are coming over here to eat and to enjoy this and to have a site, you know, right by the water to watch Illuminations. I mean, this is how tens of thousands of people every night in their Walt Disney World vacation. It's true. You know, it's not a bad way to go. It's the place that I end up uh, every night. It is my, my favorite theme park, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what, uh, what might develop here. All right, well, for, uh, for Jim Hill, this is Len Testa. Thanks very much for, uh, for listening to the show. We'll, uh, there are a couple of other episodes available for the Animal Kingdom, for the Magic Kingdom Resorts, and for the Magic Kingdom. We hope you guys listen to that. Uh, thanks very much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Stupid Judy, stupid energy. This has been a production of Mouse World Radio.